106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, guys? This is Will Whip from PragerU. Today we're on Santa Monica Beach, and we're going to be asking people some questions for the 4th of July. Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Uh, I don't really know. Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Um, celebrate the independence of our nation. Our independence? It's our Independence Day. Independence Day. For the independence of America. Why is the year 1776 significant? U.S. 1776? I have no idea. Oh. What's the significance of 1776? Is that when Columbus sailed the ocean blue? <laughs> what is the significance of 1776? I don't know. What's the significance of 1776? I don't know even know what that is. It's a year. Yeah, yeah, I figure. <laughs> Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Well, I what is the year 1776 about? About the signing of the Declaration of Independence. What's the significance of 1776? Yeah, that one I don't know. <laughs> Not a history person. I can tell. What's the significance of 1776? Christopher Columbus. Why is the year 1776 significant? Oh, it's the Civil War. Close. Or the end of it. Or the end of slavery. 1776, <laughs> Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's 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 why they say it, because it rhymes. Oh. People, people. Don't you know you have a voice? People, people. listening to an episode of No Hostages Radio, and we're thankful that you're here today. We're going to be here for about, I don't know, two, two and a half hours, and uh, so we hope that you'll enjoy it, pass the word on, and uh, we'll just say a shout out to all my friends out there in Missouri. we got kind of a contingency out there that are listening nowadays, and also over in Idaho, and maybe a couple in Montana and and some folks left around here in California. We're here in California, Northern California. And this time of year, if you have a, a degree or a, a, a day in the uh, in the 80 degree realm as opposed to 100, uh, you are rejoicing because you think, oh, it's like air conditioning from God. So uh, some of you out there may think, oh, 80 degrees, like down in San Francisco, they'd be dying right now at 80 degrees. But here, the wind's blowing just a little bit from the south, and it is so nice. Somebody told me there's going to be four or five days. So if you're living in Northern California in the valley, Sacramento Valley, you're thinking, oh, that's a blessing because <clears throat> it could be a heat wave at 95 to 105. So thank you, Jesus. Well, um, if this is your first time with us, welcome, and uh, we're grateful that you're listening, so we'll just let you give a listen to today and see what you think, uh, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. 
Last week, I, I talked about the new law that is beginning in just a few days on July 1 that will uh, eliminate your ability to legally buy uh, through the Internet ammo. You have to buy ammo at a store. You have to present your ID. There was some talk about uh, if you're from California, there's a thing called the, they call it here, the real ID. In other words, it takes more background information about you to get it than just go over there and say, this is who I am. So there's been a lot of controversy because the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV as we call it, is very dysfunctional. And it's very difficult to get your real ID. And uh, many times you have the wrong documents. It's unclear which documents you have. There's optional documents. If you don't have this document, you can bring this document. So there's a fear of, hey, I don't, now i got to get the real ID. So there is a deadline, I think, of 2020 to get the real ID. Um, but the word in the last couple of days in the, in the uh, print media is that you just need an ID, a legitimate California ID. But, but the thing that is going to be really inconvenient, you used to be able to order on the Internet your ammo, and now you cannot do that. And the other thing that I missed last week, I mentioned last week you present your ID and fill out a, a form to um, get a background check at the ammo store. And then they will charge you an extra dollar to perform that function for you. However, now I read today that those who aren't in the registry, in some registry, right, law enforcement or gun registry, gun and ammo registry, you will have to pay for a more extensive background check that costs $19 and could take several days to complete. So if you thought, oh, $1, okay, $1. I don't have a bad background, so it's a bummer I can't buy on the Internet. So uh, I'll go down to my local ammo dealer and buy from him, pay him the dollar, and go through the ring of rope. But if you're not in that registry, it's going to be $19 the first time. So just a heads up. So if you want to score yourself some ammo, you ought to do it. Like I was talking to my friend yesterday, and she said, Lou, I was listening to your show. I said, oh, that's, that's nice that you listen. She said, I said, you like it? And because <laughs> I, I, get, I get bored with myself. And she said, oh, it's very informative. And she said, my husband and I were very concerned about this ammo thing. And uh, I said, oh, it, you know, it's always fascinating what interests whom. So I thought maybe I should bring it up again for people who didn't list, listen last week and aren't paying attention to the news that if they are concerned about ammo, they should buy some. And the dealers of ammo say that, that the sale of ammo was up way, way a lot. So, you know, to me, it seems to me that this is against the Constitution. It's a violation of the Constitution to keep putting restrictions and more restrictions and more restrictions on who can have a gun. The Founding Fathers never said that there needed to be a registry of any kind on who owned a gun, who owned ammo, or anything. People could just have guns. And um, so, you know, it's a typical argument back and forth between legislators that want to take away the Second Amendment or the gun rights. They say, oh, well, this is going to save lives. And it's just, it's just pure nonsense. It just, it's like the storks are bringing the babies. It's pure nonsense, and it doesn't save lives. And what any of the people 
that look closely at any of these shootings, mass shootings, gang shootings, whatever, always come to the conclusion this new set of rules, laws, statutes, restrictions would not have stopped that horrific crime. So I, I'll, over the last 30 years, I've spent some time going into juvenile hall and talking to kids. So we get into all kinds of discussions. I mean, when the, the honey oil thing started and, and with marijuana, I didn't know what it, what they meant by it, <clears throat> although I used to be involved in drugs. And I, I knew about marijuana, I knew about hash, but I didn't know about honey oil. I, I read it in a paper, but I, I didn't know the routine. But many of the kids in juvenile hall actually knew how to make it, honey oil or what they call wax. So they said, oh, Lou, this is how you make it. And then we were discussing discussing one day about guns, talking there, and I said that I'd, I'd love to buy <clears throat> or pick up a gun. And they said, oh, well, what do you need? We we could We could provide you guns. <laughs> and so... These people, like juveniles in the detention center over there, these laws are not going to have any impact on them because they have other ways to get what they want, right? Uh, so there you have it. I just thought it was an interesting situation. And uh, I, I do think that forbidding people from getting guns or ammo uh, in various ways, restricting how they get them. You can't buy ammo on the Internet. I just think it's absurd. I mean, you could buy the makings of a bomb on the Internet. Did you know that? You, there's instructions on the Internet to uh, to design and put together one of these ex explosive devices that blow up our soldiers in uh, Middle Eastern countries, the IEDs, the IED type things. And so it's just so foolish, and I just, I just think uh, legislators uh, aren't the smart, smartest folks we have in our community to be making these, uh, these gun laws, or any laws for that matter, but it's just a, a sad situation. So, um, so get your guns, get your ammo, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to have a gun that's on the that's on, listed on the grid. You know what I mean by that? In other words, I don't want to have a gun that's registered. I, I think it's, I think it's illegal that they force you to register your guns with the government. I don't think it'd be any of their business. <clears throat> uh, it should be a private matter. So that's just that. But I, I think it's going to take, you know, what happens is one year these different laws are made and eight, nine, ten years later, the the state Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court said you can't do that. That that is a violation of the Constitution. So we will see. We will see. We will see. And uh, it's just disappointing. The whole thing is happening, but it's happening. And particularly in California, as you know, if uh, for those well, certainly we're immersed in it here in California where we live in Northern California. But throughout the, the country, if you may be aware that basically the, the California government is being run by Democrats or socialists. And so they are putting into place the, the steps to have what they consider workable, uh, manageable, pure socialism that's going to be the, the uh, model for the world, even though all around us countries are collapsing, Venezuela, 
Cuba. In fact, uh, some of my friends right down, I think they're still down in Cuba, and they're down there rebuilding or building a new meeting hall for a church, a metal building or something like that. So there was, I don't know, 9, 10, 12 guys headed down there. And, uh, and when they told them what to bring, like they bring their own tools and things, they also said, bring your own food. There's a shortage of food in another, there's just a, you know, I mean, how many socialist countries do you socialists want to, want to watch uh, fall to hell in a handbasket and not be able to feed their own people? It's just so incredibly amazing. Capitalism, free enterprise has been the thing that has been able to bring billions of people out of poverty in a very short period of time where it's been allowed. Now we have these incredible idiots that have been brought up under, under the, the blessing and the riches of capitalism think that somehow that it isn't the, the best way we have on earth right now and that somehow socialism is the answer where they but they go to these countries and they're living in such poverty uh it, it's just it's unbelievable but they go down there and just i don't know they overlook it but they don't choose to move there when they retire I don't see any people moving to Argentina, excuse me, Venezuela or Cuba uh, to spend their retirement. Many people go to other countries like Mexico, Thailand, whatever, where it's much cheaper to live than in the United States. I, I get that. You may sacrifice a little safety and some medical care. Not in Thailand. Thailand's got great medical care if you want to pay for it. One of the top hospitals in the world there in Bangkok. In fact, I w almost went over and got myself a surgery. And I've actually got some medical care in Vietnam, which was top quality. I got an MRI over there for $130. Hold that thought. So uh, <clears throat> that just shows not the, the wonders of socialism. What it shows is that the foolishness and the lack of competition in American medical, in the Mer American medical, American medical uh, industry, uh, where things are like uh, my MRI probably would have cost thousand or twelve hundred dollars here on my shoulder, and I got one for one hundred and thirty in Vietnam, and uh, I didn't even shop around. I just got a recommendation which hospital to use. Boom, went down there, got right in, and uh, very professional, and came back with it. Surgeon said, "Hey, we're going to do, we're going to operate on you. I can see all the problem now, and what a great X-ray! Hallelujah to you." So that's just the way that works. So, um, but but in California, that's the way we're going. And both houses of the legislature uh, is Democrat, and the every, all the key people running this state are Democrat. And so they've and and they've had free reign over the state for over forty years, except for a couple of years. So it's for the first time in my life <clears throat> where I've read about trends in the United States. You know, this is going up, this is going down, this is changing, that's changing. And I think, oh, I'd, I wouldn't have never known that because I don't know anybody that's having that experience. But today, when, when I read about people leaving the state of California, many of my friends are leaving. It's just a fast, it's such a fascinating thing. I never thought I would ever see anything like this, but my friends... And I hear, I, I watch people on the internet saying, oh, we're moving next month to Nevada, to Idaho, to Texas, to something, something, and we're so happy, or to Tennessee, way off, uh, Missouri, and, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's happening. 
people, and they're not people that are on welfare. They're not people that are on drugs. They're they're good people. They're, they're the people that actually hold the society together. The salt of the earth type people. They pay their bills. They're the people that volunteer to coach soccer. They're the people that are on your PTA boards. They're really the people that are the backbone of our uh, of our free society. But they're leaving because of the harassment of the government and the craziness of the government. And uh, that's just what's going on. So um, I don't know whether I'll find this right away. I, I wasn't going to take this in this kind of order. But uh, but there was a big flare-up a couple months ago. You know, I mentioned um, in May, I think it was May 8th and 9th or 6th and 7th or something like that, the California Board of Education. You know, we have a state state board, then we have federal laws, and then we have then we have local local boards of trustees, or I was on the county board of education, Yuba County, for, I don't know, a dozen years or so. And so uh, Trump is actually talking about eliminating those federal controls. Um, so I'm just looking here to see if I can find this, uh, this article on Rockland, just the town of Rockland, which is just about 45 minutes from here. And uh, after May, when the the State Board of Equalization Board of Education decided to change the the rules or the sex education uh, curriculum to include an affirmation or a attaboy slap on the back to the L L B Q X Y Z uh, all the sexual genders the fluid genders. Uh, male, female, both, uh, all those kind of things, and just say all these genders, we, we don't even know. There's so many genders that we don't even know what they are. They're just, they're, uh, they're just too many of them for us. We can't keep up with what we're learning every day. And what we want is we want our young people, beginning at kindergarten, to believe what we say, that there's all these genders, and they're just people feeling like if, you've, if you're a male— by plumbing and you feel like you you're you're a female then god bless you and uh and we just hope it all works out for you but we're just going to embrace you and and we're going to say how uh how normal this all is but what happened is um during this uh vote in may uh parent activists began to look through the curriculum and publish the curriculum for all to see and it uh, told variety of sex acts. Now, the the people advocating for this curriculum, which now has been passed, uh, say, oh, well, it has nothing to do with sex education. It's just about loving people and being inclusive. You know how this term is tolerance and inclusive. But the people that they aren't in but the people that they aren't tolerant and inclusive of are straight people who don't believe in anything other than being straight. Right. And. Um, and Christian people who believe the Bible, right? Anybody else, including Muslims, by the way, who don't buy into this at all, but they give Muslim, Muslims a pass on this. So uh, anyway, it's this uh, group in Rockland that uh, that showed up. I'm still trying to look at the, for, for this article. I'm scrolling through my notes here because I'm taking it out of order. Here we go. Uh, and a month or so ago, 
like something, a whole gym full of people protested. And they claimed that they were going to pull out about uh, 700 children out of that Rockland school district. And I think the school district had about 12,000 students in it. So what's that, about 5%, 6%, something like that, they were going to pull out. Well, they admitted the school, uh, the school people said, hey, that's really going to hurt our school because if those butts aren't, you get paid by the government for the butt being in the seat. So if they pass and they go to a private school or homeschool, they don't get any money for them. So uh, here's this article right here. It says, Rockland parents protest a approved LGBT curriculum by keeping children out of school. So they say about 700 yeah, of the 12,000. So there was a three to two vote is very heated. They said, and, but they passed this curriculum, but they said, Oh, we may tweak it a little bit. Now this is the way it always works with liberals. They pass a very radical bill. And then when people react and flip out, they'll say, Oh, well, uh, actually we're not going to, we're not going to do what, what you think we're going to do. Even though it says it all right there on paper, we're actually not going to inflict that. And so it's up to the local school on how they're going to, uh, work this into their, their, um, daily activities. So you can sort it out with your local. So it just def diffuses the, the blowback. So then as year year or two goes by and there's new parents and parents come and go and they graduate and people move out of the area, the naive parents who don't even know what fight took place 24 months ago or 18 months ago, they totally miss it. And then all of a sudden the kid comes home from school telling mom and dad all kinds of crazy stuff. And they say, say what? Because there is no, in California, there is no opt-out choice. You know how you can kind of opt out of certain activities with your children at school? And you can just sign a thing that says, I don't want my kid involved in that. Or that I'm not going to go, we're not going to go to that field day, right? And you can opt out. Um, so anyway, we're up. I'm right at the end of a, a break. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that break because I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to like take a swig of cold water. And number two, I'm going to... I'll play you uh, one of my favorite guys, Thomas Sowell, who's brilliant, and uh, he is, he's studied a lot about uh, ethnicity and cult culture, and he has a comment to make about Hispanics and multiculturalism. So we'll take a break, and we'll just be back in a couple minutes. Don't be running off, but we'll keep you entertained. No like weird advertisements trying to sell you some kind of toothpaste or something. All right, be right back. Those Hispanics who grew up speaking English are going onward and upward. Uh, and moreover, moreover, apparently the, the parents see this because uh, the Hispanic parents are not as gung-ho for multi-bilingualism multi, uh, exactly. uh, as, the, as the activists are, because they want their kids to go somewhere in this world. It's more satisfying to believe that the problems of the Hispanics are caused by the non-Hispanics and that you can attack them and so on. And one of the things that got to me about, about Obama, the man was a community activist. I think most people have no idea what that means. It means that you go out there and polarize people. You get them to blame somebody else. 
And uh, the problem is not that the somebody else will feel indignant. That's a passing problem. The passing problem is the people you claim to be helping uh, are going to be worse off for not doing the things that they could that are perfectly within their capability. This notion of, of, of multiculturalism is something that's just simply not put to the test. And if you put it to the test, it collapses like a house of cards. Um, one of the remarkable stories that, that doesn't seem to get much attention uh, the, is the story of the New Englanders who came down south after the Civil War to educate the children of the freed slaves. And what they brought was a New England culture, which was radically different from the Southern culture. Uh, and there were these little tiny New England enclaves. And in from those tiny enclaves, a wholly disproportionate share of all the future black leaders came. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so special about that place. Even your emotions had an echo in so much space. All right, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, as we left uh, a couple minutes ago, I was talking about what, what's going on up in uh, Rockland and about what's going on in the infusion of uh, anything goes sexual activity uh, in our school districts in California and how the liberals... Uh, the liberal strategy, whatever they want to bring into the school system or into your life, they usually make a real radical statement, real amazing, and they see if they can pull it off first shot. And then um, the same way they do uh, at the legislature. If they don't want to like pass a law right away, they want to test the waters, what they'll do is vote on a resolution that this is what we believe. Like We, we should love America. They'll pass a resolution. And then if that resolution goes over real well, and they don't get any blowback, then they'll turn around a year or so later and they'll, they'll codify that in a law. And it forces people, in other words, if you don't follow that, then you're a criminal. So this is what they've done here in the LB, LGBT community. And um, so the L, LGBT community center spokesperson in Sacramento, from Sacramento and Rockland, uh, to Rockland resident Rachel Henry, she argued that the inclusion of LGBT curriculum is a positive thing for students and their understanding of the world. Now, a, a lot of people would have a, a difference with that. Now, here's here's the deal. What they're arguing now is it used to be with sex ed. People could choose to hold their kids out of sex ed because the argument was that parents should, the family values of that child and those parents should be the, the guiding principles whereby that child is going to make choices in the future, not some teacher or some school's values, right? It, the, it used to be we all agreed on biblical values, but we don't any longer, right? And those big biblical values framed the Constitution, and those biblical values also framed in what, what's going to be in our curriculum. But now those things are constantly being scrubbed out, they're being revised. And so now when these sex ed things are being introduced, it's now uh, we don't we're not going to allow you to opt out because this is our culture. And this is the truth. It's kind of like when they teach evolution. They say, oh, we're, we're, it's just a it's not a fact. It's just a theory of Charles Darwin. But then they teach it as fact because they don't have any option. And you bring up any biblical stuff and they mock you. Right. 
So same thing here. And so uh, the Rockland Unified School District, just a bit away, just to the south of us, they're they're going for this. And um, it says the LG the, uh, says uh, doing this is going to have dramatically positive effects on the school climate for both LGBTQ XYZ OPNIZ and the non students of marginalized groups. Now, see, there's this concept that kids are running around, five-year-olds, saying, I'm a heterosexual, and you better be a heterosexual too. I don't even think kids are, unless teachers are sensitizing people or their or parents are letting kids watch porn at at home, kids aren't even thinking about sexual stuff at that age. But we're, we're teaching them, and we're going to sensitize to them right now. Now, although I didn't plan... Uh, for this show to be on sexuality, there's just so much going on in the world and in our communities in the United States regarding sexuality. Uh, I, I just thought, well, I'm just going to discuss this. I'm not, I don't have a big, I don't uh, go to bed at night dreaming about it or thinking about it or worrying about it. It's like, hey, I live in the world I live in. And uh, actually the Bible uh, that I read says that, that these things are going to happen. So it doesn't get me flared up. Now, I don't know whether you notice on the, uh, the there's been a lot of controversy about the women's soccer team, the United States women's soccer team, and they've been very successful. And there was, I don't want to get into the side issues of running up the score, I think, on the Thailand folks. But they got a really great team. Some of them on that team are homosexuals, right? They're lesbians. And, uh, but I, I saw this, and, and to me, I don't really care. Right. But it, one of them, uh, it, one of the gals that's a lesbian, uh, refuses to respect the national anthem. And I thought, oh, well, that's her life. So she can live her life. It just is so fascinating that the very country that allows her to have such wonderful success, she she finds to hate. It's kind of like these terrorists that want to come to this country. Then they come here. And they want to destroy it, or they, or Muslims that want to come to this country, and then they get here because they hated their country and it was restrictive and punishing and persecuting, and then they come here and want to set up Sharia law and tell every, everybody all these other Muslims they got to wear burqas and cover up and all of this nonsense. It's like, hey, if you don't like it here, why don't you go to get the hell out of here? All right, so uh, so this this is a Christian. There's a uh, I guess a soccer player on that team. I'm, there's probably more than one. It happens to be a person of faith, Christian faith, and uh, so she decided uh, that she, I guess the soccer team was going to mandate or decided that they were going to honor uh, homosexuals by wearing some sort of a jersey that's a gay pride jersey, right? So. If I was playing, I used to play sports in, in high school, and we were, you know, we wore the, the high school uniform. But if they decided they were going to wear a gay pride uh, uniform, I wouldn't wear the thing. Even when I wasn't, I'm a Christian today. I followed Jesus for about the last 40 years. Before that, I wasn't raised that way, but I wouldn't, raise, I wouldn't have worn that anyway because I thought that was stupid. Now, th this whole thing, there's been a controversy over raising uh, rainbow flags over the state capitals and embassies and all that stuff. I just think it's so bizarre because, I mean, it's like, hey, you want to go out and screw a horse, screw a horse. I don't really care. Just go get it on, right? Uh, 
but why why do you want to have dinner with me and talk about screwing horses? I, I'm not interested in that, right? Let's talk about something we have mutual interest in. So when you fly a, a rainbow flag for the Christian, the rainbow is sig- significant because God just wiped out the world because it was so corrupt and uh, kinky. Can I say the word kinky? Yeah, I think corrupt and kinky. That's a good word. And so he just said, I, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. People are gnarly and they don't want to follow the rules. So I'm going to I'm going to start fresh. Right. And then at the end of that, he said, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky and I'm not going to do this this way anymore. I'm not going to wipe the world out by flood. Now, it's interesting that the the LBGT XYZ group choose the rainbow as they're it's like an in your face to God. Right. So you're not going to flood us out anymore. So we're going to use that as our symbol. And we're and so but even if they didn't, even if there was no God, and even if there there was no significant thing to that symbol and they just had a rainbow flag, I just find it fascinating that they fly a flag that has to do with sexual behavior over our, our government buildings. Like, why don't we have all the men that want to have sex with little boys, the, you know, that group, Lambda, they, they feel like as long as the boy consents, they ought to be like Harvey Milk. He liked to have sex with teenage boys down in Sacramento or San Francisco. And so why don't we fly a flag over the capital of men screwing boys or men screwing sheep or ladies screwing horses, right? Let's fly flags for all that. If it's just going to be like every time we have a new twist on sexual uh, deviancy, then we'll create a flag for it and we'll celebrate it like, oh, did you have coffee ta- or coffee shop the local coffee shop. Hey, I figured out a new way to have sex. I had, I had sex with a dog the other night. Oh, we should make a flag. Oh, we should fly it above the Capitol. We, sh- we should like, people should respect us because some people feel like they're, they're more akin to having sex with, with, a, uh, with a sheep dog, right? So we need to celebrate that and we need to like uh, have people be inclusive of that and tolerant of that. So we need to have a flag and maybe we'll have a checkered flag. So anyway, uh, this lady, this Christian soccer player named Jaylene Hinkle, uh, she withdrew from the U.S. soccer team. Isn't that, isn't that tragic? The gal worked her butt off. Can you imagine what? I played sports some. I, I worked pretty hard, but not hard enough to be excellent. And I didn't have the, D, the great DNA that I think some of these people have, but even though they have great DNA, they worked their butts off. And she worked her butt off to get to the U.S. soccer level and then because of this, we, we got it. We, we, you know, by God, if you on this soccer team, you're going to promote gay pride or to hell with you. Get the hell off the team, go back home, throw out your whole career because you're going to, you're going to endorse sexual, uh, misdeeds or you're going to get the hell out of here. Right. That's what this is all about. So, uh, after it was announced on the squad that they'd be all be wearing rainbow colored gay pride Jersey in their upcoming game, she cited personal reasons for a refusal to play. I thought, Oh, well, that's pretty vague. <clears throat> so, but she, then she went on to state that she declared, uh, a, a phrase out of the Bible or what we call a verse Colossians three and 23 chapter three, 23rd verse on her Twitter account, which says, 
And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. If you live for people's acceptance, you'll die for their reje- from their rejection. The tagline also noted on her profile. Hinkle also noted converted, uh, notably converted a gay pride logo into a celebration of the cross on Instagram the same day the Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex marriages in 2015 while sharing her opinion on the decision. And at that time, she wrote, quote, Jesus didn't come to save those who already believed in him. He came so that the lost, rejected, and abandoned men and women would find him and believe. I believe with every fiber of my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. That's what she wrote back in 2015. This is one of our top soccer players in the country. Um, So then she says, The rainbow was a covenant between God and all his creation that never again would the world be flooded as it was when he destroyed the world during Noah's time. It is a constant reminder that no matter how corrupt this world becomes, he will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, even during times of trial and confusion. She said, love won over 2,000 years ago, which means that's when Jesus came and was crucified. Love won over 2,000 years ago when the greatest sacrifice of all time was made for all mankind. That's her comments. And she's now off the team. Damn her. She doesn't deserve to be on the team because she will not comply with our uh, gay pride t-shirt we gotta wear just gotta wear it we just everybody's gotta this whole country is gonna bow down now you see you know if you're a bible reader this is so amazing because this has happened over it is not a first and so when the babylonians took israel captive over overran israel and they took thousands and thousands of their people back to Babylonia and lived there, and then they moved Babylonians into Israel. Uh, they they were trying to force people to do all kinds of things, bow down to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, do this, do that, and Israelis just said, I'm not going to do that. That's against my, my faith. I'm not going to do that. I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. And uh, peop- some people got all lathered up and said, you know, we're going we're gonna to have you killed for that. Or other people said, no, we'll just let them go. And, you know, as long as they behave themselves and serve us well. Some of the Israelis were the sharpest people in the country in Babylonian times. Daniel was one of them. You can read all about it. So, you know, it's just been, there's nothing new. There's nothing new here. Um, so I just found that was uh, very fascinating. And I feel for this lady because, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a, a runner. I was, I didn't do the, I didn't do the the refreshing of my mind that I need to do all the time, but there's a runner named Eric. Some people call it Lytle or Little. It was during, um, I think it was during World War II, and he was a, a runner. The The movie Chariots of Fire, it got an uh, Academy Award. Was, it must have been Chariots of Fire. It must have been 20 years ago now, but it's a very good movie. And it's about his life, and he was a, a runner, a long-distance runner, I believe. Sorry, you probably heard that beating. We had a guy at the, the door. Uh, I think he thought I was deaf, so he, he, he beat beat the door in until I got out there, and he wanted to uh, give me a PG&E. If, if you're not from California, Pacific Gas and Electric, they have 60% higher rates than wherever you get. I'm just going to give them a little plug right here totally a ripoff 
spend all, all their money, a lot of their money on, on politics and, and supporting things like I'm talking about right now, the, the, the anti-marriage agenda or the gay marriage agenda, spend half a million dollars on that, right? Our, our, our money that's supposed to keep our lines and gas lines solid. And uh, so now we have 60% higher rates in California. And now uh, they, they've admitted they don't keep up their gas lines or their power lines. So now during when, when the wind's up in California, can you think about this over there in Idaho and Montana? When the winds come up in California, they're going to turn the power totally off like a third world nation. It is so. And, and, and the socialists over here think, oh, well, that's a good thing. Unbelievable. So anyway, I was telling you when I was so incredibly interrupted here uh, that Eric Little uh, refused to run his race in the Olympics because it was going to be on his Sabbath, which I think he's considered Sunday and uh, at that time. And so uh, it shocked everybody. But there's a whole there's a whole movie about this, and uh, so it's the same type of st- the stand that this young woman made for the the, the soccer team, and uh, I I feel bad for her because she worked really hard for it, and now it's a political thing that now has uh, ruined her uh, chance because somebody had to make a political statement, right? Somebody had to do it, but instead of being tolerant, right? I thought we were going to be tolerant, but instead of being tolerant and allow this young woman who had a different belief to wear a normal jersey, right? Uh, they're not going to allow. They didn't allow. It was, in other words, you're all going to do that, or you're going to be off this team. Uh, I agree with that in some areas. I've coached before. I've coached soccer and basketball, and uh, I get that, but not about this. This is unbelievable. Now. Along these lines, uh, along these lines, besides uh, now uh, screwing over Jaylene Hinkle, uh, <clears throat> we have another situation where California legislators are now talking about forcing pastors to adopt the LGBTXYZ MOP agenda. In other words, remember twenty years ago or so when gay people begin to say, I just want to let you know, you probably thought this, but I just want to let you know I'm gay. I just want to be out front about it. They called that coming out of the closet. And they thought, and so people said, oh, you want to be gay? Okay, it's your life. I'm not going to be gay, but if you want to be gay, be gay. Hallelujah to you, right? And, um, but then it wasn't good enough. Then uh, we, we had to like say, I think gay is great. I think gay is a normal lifestyle. I think gay, uh, I think God intended us to be gay, right? And we just went totally nuts with it, right? And then we made up things like Harvey Milk, who was screwing underage boys that normally we arrest Harvey Milk type people down in, down in San Francisco. He's a, he was a supervisor. Then we began to say that he's a civil rights deliverer like Martin Luther King. And we just, we just, we just create things out of thin air like this is good, this is great. Uh, pass the potatoes. This is like this is like the greatest thing, and 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 we believe a lie. You know the Bible says is a time when people believe a lie. The, the truth is there, but they choose to believe a lie. They choose to live in deception. So now California, <clears throat> which already demands public schools, 
only portray homosexuality in a positive light, this article says, and banned counselors, listen to this, this, this isn't about tolerance, and banned counselors from telling troubled youth they don't have to be gay, now is moving against pastors and other spiritual leaders. Do you see what I'm saying? This has nothing to do with tolerance. It is very intolerant. But this is what the world has come to. They talk tolerance, but they are just the opposite. Um, so uh, they apparently, the article says, are guilty of telling homosexuals and others that the Bible teaches something else. The Bible does teach something else. It, it, it talks about all kinds of sexual behavior other than the way God wants us to do it as deviant not just homosexual behavior, all kinds of sexual, it lists all kinds of sexual behavior. But homosexuals say, they either say, oh, there's nothing in there about that, or they say Jesus was a homosexual, David and Jonathan were homosexuals, and homosexuals really okay. But they, they leave out all the parts where it says, don't be a homosexual. There's parts in the Bible that says, don't be doing that. Right? Women don't be with women. Men don't be with men. It just says that. If you have a problem with that, that's a, you have a problem with the Bible and with God. I, I don't have a bad attitude about it. I, I, I sleep good at night, you being a homosexual. If you're a homosexual, you want to sleep with the same person, same gender person, you're not keeping me awake at night, right? You want to go screw a horse? You are not keeping me awake at night. I'm, I'm good. I'm good over here. I'm just telling you that that's screw thinking, right? Now, the, I, I have a lot of friends that are criminals. I have friends that have killed people. Uh, done some gnarly stuff, and um, I am not going to follow their way. They're not doing that no more, but even though they're not doing it no, no more, my intention is to not to follow their way, and I sleep good about it at night, not going and out and killing somebody. I think that's the best way, not to kill somebody, right? But my friends have killed people. That just They did that. My friends have done a lot of gnarly stuff, but they've, they've changed. Pretty much they've changed it up. But I also have friends at the Yuba County Jail that are still trying to sort out what, what they're going to do with their life, right? And they've been involved in all kinds, of, all kinds of wild stuff. But I'm trying to reach them and help them. And if they don't want to do what, what the Bible, it's not what I want to do. It's what the Bible says to do. I say, hey, do what the Bible says to do. Your life will be better. God, God will be pleased with you. Uh, but if they, if they don't do it, I'm okay with that, right? It's not my job. That's God's job. I just, I'm just a, helping people, right? Kind of be an influence. So, but it, but I'm not like being intolerant. So I tell them, hey, you want to go on and do that wild thing out there? I'm still your friend. I will try to help you. If you decide to change it up, I will try to help you. You have other issues. I'll try to help you. But I, I I'm not going to endorse your behavior. You with me? So it's the same thing with this, but but the way what the politics is doing in California and it's it's seeping over into the other states is, is saying, you're on our national soccer team. You're after you're on this, you're after that, and and we're gonna we're gonna embrace having sex with animals, and we're gonna have a a, a logo on the back of our jerseys for this coming game. That's not tolerance, that's intolerance for the people that are on the team. And, and this deviant type of political practice cannot be tolerant because anybody that stands up like this one woman, Janine Hinkle, it just pisses everybody off because she just says, I don't believe what you're doing is right. I don't dislike you. 
but I don't believe what your behavior is, is correct. I'm just saying, like, hey, it's a free country. We still have free speech here. You may kick me off the team, which they did. They said, you either wear the shirt or go home. It's your, your career is over, right? Go coach soccer from some high school or something. But that's what's happening here. They can't stand any other opinion when they, get, when they go off the reservation, so to speak, morally. They can't, they can't stand any other opinion or any stance or anybody that lives a different way or won't embrace them and say, uh, even though I'm heterosexual, I also think that you're homosexual, you're good to go. You're good to go with God. That ain't, that ain't happening. It, it, it isn't because I created the rule. It isn't because I created It's just like if somebody says, I don't believe in gravity. So I said, you know, if you want to jump off a building, which I have a friend that did that under methamphetamine, he jumped off a Modesto five-story building, a Modesto or Stockton, killed himself because he's so paranoid. And basically I said to him, if you want to jump off that building, dude, it's up to you. That's probably going to not work out for you so hot. And it isn't the best thing to do for you. It's probably going to kill you. That's what I'd say to him. But if that's what you want to do, there's probably not nothing I can do about it. And that's true of life, whether you, you have people in your family that are suicidal or whatever, whatever. You can give them some input. I, but I, like, I can't tell people in, ju- in the jail and juvenile hall, I'm not going to shoot on them. And I don't want them to shoot on me. So it's all our choice. You want, you want to live that way, whatever way it is. Do heroin. You want to shoot yourself in the head, shoot hoops or, or you know, uh, shoot somebody else. Uh, it's your life, but but there there are some rules that we enforce still in our society. One, you can't shoot other people without consequences. But but that's what this is about. Now now California is want to force pastors to adopt this agenda, and assembly uh, assembly can it's a resolution. Remember I said first they'll pass a resolution, and it's just their belief in this is the right thing for society, it, and it isn't going to have any. Uh, impact until they make it a law assembly concurrent resolution 99 uh the uh it says calls on counselors pastors religious workers educators and institutions with great moral influence churches to stop saying something is wrong with the lgbt identities of sexual behavior you get it it said stop fussing around with the identities of sexual behavior. In other words, don't say that there aren't those different identities from God, right? The proposed resolution also condemns attempts to change unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion because of the belief that it's an ethical, harmful, or leading to high rates of suicide, which it is and it does. The homosexual community says they got the highest rates. You, the the uh, Center for Disease Control, CDC, says that it does. So you think, oh, and then they blame it on the, the heterosexual community. Oh, it doesn't have anything to do with our behavior. It has everything to do because you don't, you don't love us enough, right? Uh, so it's a nine, remember I told you, it's a non-binding resolution, uh, but it's going it's to change. Now, uh, so 
they say there. This one guy says there's a. They say there's a stigma associated with being LGBT that is often created by groups in society, including therapists and religious groups, and that that stigma has caused disproportionately high rates of suicide. See what I said? They blame the high rates of suicide and depression on the non uh, LGBT XYZ people. In other words, if you're heterosexual. Your heterosexuality is the reason they are killing themselves. It has nothing to do with their behavior. It has to do with your behavior because you just think, I just like people of the opposite sex. Well, right there, just by you loving somebody of the opposite sex, you're causing another group in society to want to shoot themselves or hang themselves or take an overdose of pills. Now, that's just stupid thinking, but that's that's what we're facing in this government because People just sit around and come up with this asinine logic. What they're asking churches and religious groups to do is change how they're addressing this lifestyle. Interesting, isn't it? Well, that's that's what we're talking about here. So uh, we're going to take another break. We're off. Our timing's off off because of my friend trying to sell me or save me some money from PG&E because they're ripping me off, interrupted me, and I. Uh, Normally, I put a note on the door because they're broadcasting out of where I live. And I said, don't be fussing around over here. But I didn't hang it up today. Wouldn't you know it? A guy, would, he, he, I thought he was hitting the door with a baseball bat. God bless him. All right, we'll be back. Uh, I want, we're going to play a clip for you now. The untold truth about African-Americans. Uh, and it says, you are not from Africa, nor are you, a, nor are you an African. So that ought to get you get you smoking we'll be right back and hang in there okay here we go what a difference a day made 24 little hours what the sun and the flowers Speaking in a formal gathering somewhere off the grid at a discreet location, just after his return from crossing the waters, Malcolm X revealed some very vital, unconventional details on what Negroes, or rather African Americans, were truly considered to be as a nationality of race prior to being called or labeled a Negro. Aborigine, which means what? Black folks. You never find a white Aborigine. Aborigines are called natives or they're always dark-skinned people. You and I are aborigines, but you don't let them be called an aborigines. Malcolm X stated that the rock landed on us after he returned across the waters because he learned new things. He learned that the rock had truly landed on us and that we were from these lands. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. also stated in his I Have a Dream speech that we are held in exile in our own homeland. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. Now we have a lot of scholars out there and individuals are missing the point. How can you be held in exile in your own homeland without it being your own homeland? The tens of millions of black Americans or rather Indians who disappeared in 1492 did not all die in the Holocaust inflicted within America. 
Hundreds of thousands were shipped to Europe and Africa as Indian slaves. The whole slave trade story was given to all of us in reverse. A mass colony of Africans were not shipped from Africa to America. The truth is that black Indians were shipped from America to Europe. They were then shipped from Spain to Africa as commodity for African resources. These black Indians, now mistaken as African Americans, were shipped back to America and classified as African slaves. This part of our history is what the school systems failed to mention in history programs. The American Society was an organization formed in 1816 with the purpose of transporting free African Americans, or rather Indian slaves, classified as Negroes back then, from the United States to settle on the west coast of Africa. During the decades, the society operated and transported more than 12,000 people to Africa, and the African nation of Libya was founded. The term African American to refer to all black people was endorsed only since 1988, but was against the desires of the majority of black people. In fact, the term was endorsed by only five people, including Reverend Jesse Jackson and Ramona Etlin leading the charge as a result of a gathering called the African American Summit without the input of the majority of black people. Author Avis J. Smith went to the district court in Washington, D.C. to stand against this term, as well as against the notion that a small group of powerful individuals should be able to compel the masses into adopting it. The systematic destruction of the Native Americans, or rather Native Indigenous Aborigine people, and their way of life was not only one of recorded history's greatest tragedies, but as with the slave trade, deeply spiritually wounding to all involved. The utter decimation of their culture is one of the most shameful aspects of history. The extent of the damage still being downplayed and denied entry into textbooks and history lessons to this day. Welcome back. Hey, I want to mention uh, we got a couple sponsors that I want to mention throughout the uh, the show today. But I want to bring up something that uh, I met some people here oh, I don't know, a few months ago, and they were uh, they have a great vineyard. Uh, they they raise grapevines for the vineyards, so they're a nursery, right? But the daughter, the the uh, adult daughter in the family, I was out having dinner with them out at their place, and I've but she did something different. She has horses, and she has a uh, an arena, a little horse arena, and uh, it's called Youthful Courage Stables. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so it's Weiss, you can go to ycstables.com. I believe that's what it is. And, uh, yeah, ycstables.com, Youth, Youthful Courage Stables. They have all kinds of programs over there, and it's really cool things. So she's always loved horses, and so you can go to her stables here in Yuba City, California, and she, has, she teaches people horsemanship uh, lessons in English, Western, bare, bareback, and, and riding, and all kinds of stuff about horses. But... So I know it's summertime, and some of you have kids that think, "Oh, I'd rather I want to do something cool with them." And so, 
she has all kinds of lessons over there about, you know, just having learning about how to ride, how to take care of a horse, but also for kids that maybe have some development, that maybe they're developmentally disabled or, or they're kind of, they need something, right? Sometimes people enroll people in a judo or some kind of boxing or something to increase their self-confidence, etc. So she has all that all that packaged into her programs there and uh, develop self-confidence, increase self-esteem, learn responsibility, build faith and trust, improve your balance, gain knowledge, all, all surrounding enjoying horses and at this uh, horse riding center in Yuba City. So if you're interested in that, just go on our website. Her name's Stephanie. And uh, you can go to UC Stables. I mean, YC Stables. And her name's Stephanie Case Camp. But you don't, it doesn't really make any difference. You can just go to U, uh, YC Stables, like, like Yuba City, but it's actually Youthful Courage Stables. And .com, and you can shoot her a, uh, you can find out, all about it and then you could shoot an email and see if you can uh, get involved in a lesson or checking it out or coming and visit her and talk to her and so they're serving all kinds of homeschool groups anybody anybody's welcome military families uh, foster families charter schools private schools public schools all kinds of stuff working with kids young people and there's all kinds of photos on this website very nice and uh, very lovely lady, Stephanie. So if you're interested in that, uh, I know there's a, f there's a phone number someplace here. Let me see if I can find it. There's a phone number you can call and talk to her at 707-350-2999. It's 707-350-2999, ycstables.com located right here just on the outskirts of yuba city as it goes into the farm or it's, it's just kind of nestled among the orchards and stuff so check that out if you're interested it might be a good event maybe it's a, just a day to uh give your kids a different experience this summer since they've got some time off from school and they may love it and may, may end up being a hobby for them a horse and horse enthusiast or maybe they'll just get into it as a, a major competition we got a one young fellow in our church that rides Brahma bulls and competes. I think that's cool. So you never know what's going to tickle the fancy of your youngster and really help them in their life and, and uh, become a better person and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was mentioning to you that about the, the legislature now making a resolution and basically declaring ahead of making a law that they're asking everybody to voluntarily comply with uh, changing their ways and changing their perspective and changing their thoughts about people being drag queens and uh, all, all, all that that means, right? So let me move on from there to somebody that I personally know, which is Brad Dacus. And Brad has spoken up here for the school system when I was on the school board. I'm not, I wasn't on a Christian school board, a public school board, but we had Brad come because he was with the Pacific Justice Institute. And many times school uh, officials have no idea what, what the uh, students' civil rights are and parents' civil rights. 
And so uh, Brad would come up and speak to high school and grammar school principals to say, these are the rights of people of faith uh, as they're on your campus. And don't violate their rights because you're going to get into trouble. It's going to cost you a lot of money. So uh, Brad, um, I think he originally was out of Texas, but now is up here in California. But he has these uh, kind of uh, these offices at the Pacific Justice Institute around the country now. So in the Spokane, Spokane, Washington office, they had an issue come up and uh, a pastor got arrested. And he got arrested at a library because they had announced at a library. I don't know if you've noticed this, but at schools and libraries now, drag queens are now going and they're doing drag queen, drag queen story hour, drag queen story hour. And so they were having one of these uh, in Spokane. Uh, and uh, so just a couple weeks ago. And he and so this pastor went to the event to just view it. He wasn't going to protest. He just wanted to watch it. And uh, it's called the Drag Queen Story Hour. Or now they got D-Q-A-S-H. So don't have to spell it out anymore. He arrived a couple hours before the event. Uh, was scheduled uh, because he, he wanted to be able to get in and really watch it. And there was a very heavy police presence, according to Brad Dacus, the attorney or the founding and founding attorney for the Pacific Justice Institute. So this Yatin, his name's Yatin, Pastor Yatin, I think you'd say, Y-A-G-H-T-I-N. He arrived a couple hours early. There was a heavy police presence and hundreds of people both supporting and opposing the event. So I guess the police were there because the word was out that it was kind of a, a sensitive issue, Right. So uh, he, Yatin, went to the library door to go in the library to observe the event, event, but was barred by the police. And he did not, he wasn't carrying a sign. He wasn't preaching. Um, he didn't consider himself a protester. So the police nevertheless ordered him to leave the premises. Otherwise, you know, anybody can go to the library, right? How Libraries, the doors open. You don't have to knock. You don't have to get permission. You don't have to pay a dollar. You just go in. But they wouldn't allow him to go in, so uh, so they said go across the street with everyone else who the police deemed not to be supportive of the event. So that somehow something about him, the look of him, I don't know whether he said he had a big button that says I'm a pastor. Some people claim that they can spot pastors a mile away. I, maybe that's true. One time in a grocery line, I was just waiting to pay for my groceries, and a guy ahead of me, didn't even know me, turned around and says, you're either a with the police, you're a probation officer, or a pastor, one of the three P's. And I thought, oh, interesting. So uh, he was kind of, he was right. I was working with all three. <laughs> I was doing all three. And uh, so this Yatin asserted his First Amendment rights, and the police responded by arresting him. In other words, he said, I have a right to go in there and listen. You can't, you can't do this. So they arrested him. He handcuffed him, put him in the back of the police van for several hours. Because I guess they figured they're going to have trouble. So instead of hauling people back to the department, they just had a big enough van to just store them there till they got ready to leave. And then it would take them all at once. Yadin learned later 
that his stand may have put his life in danger as the police had positioned snipers on the roof of the library. Can you imagine? This is America, folks. Sniper. Now, I can see if they're worried about a terrorist act, right, at a big football game or big event, like a national event or a statewide event, political event. But we got a transsexual going to read at the library, and we got a snipers on the roof. So uh, while the police were ordering Yatton and others concerned about this event to leave or go across the street where they could protest, they allowed they allowed the supporters of the drag queens. Now we got multiple queens, plural, to surround and enter the library. Some of the event supporters carried provocative signs depicting Jesus in a dress regard, reading to children. Other supporters dressed like angels with oversized wings. Uh, after Yachton was taken to jail, booked, bailed out, he connected with the Pacific Justice Institute, and uh, PJI received... Uh, has in the past secured dismissal of charges against a number of types of evangelists or people that were showing up at events and making public statements. But this guy, they said, wasn't even doing all that kind of stuff. Um, so it says earlier this year, Brad Dacus, the president of PJI, secured dismissal of criminal charges against an evangelist in El Paso, Texas, who had been prosecuted for preaching outside a drag queen show you can do that in fact people can protest uh hold on just a second here people can protest outside a church right and not be arrested they can make a scene right they may they may not be able to disrupt the church service but they could protest they could hold signs etc right it's, it's your first amendment rights so uh, the number of criminal charges being filed against pastors and evangelists across the country uh, in just a few years should be alarming to every freedom-loving American, Brad Dacus commented. He said the arrest in Spokane is one of the clearest examples yet of viewpoint discrimination. Did you know there's such a thing? Viewpoint discrimination. There, the LGBTXYZMOP uh, do not have a right to discriminate against your viewpoint if you have a different viewpoint from them. It doesn't mean you can hit them, hurt them, uh, disrupt their meetings, uh, or do weird stuff. It just, you can go on about your way and have your own opinion. So Dacus of PJI said, we're going to vi vigorously contest these charges. And in other words, he said, which I agree, he said, we need to be able to peacefully disagree and voice our concerns in public places without fear of arrest or prosecution based on a viewpoint. That's what the, the viewpoint is not going to be tolerated by the legislature of California, nor by uh, some of these advocates. Uh, do you remember all the speakers that have been rejected after they've been invited, like Ann Coulter? David Horowitz, Ben Shapiro. They've been invited to speak at major college campuses, university campuses, and they go there to come, you know, to agree, you know, to do their de their deed there, speak. And students prohibit them from doing that. And he, if they can't keep them out of the building, 
They scream them down. They create so much of a ruckus in the meeting. Now, that's what we call about discriminating, a viewpoint discrimination. And uh, she, so Dacus, in just the last two weeks, threats of arrest at controversial library events have become a pattern. Last weekend, two moms in Des Moines, uh, in Des Moines, uh, it says Des Moines, Washington, which is, I would thought it was Illinois, uh, were threatened with arrest and escorted out of a library-hosted teen pride event. Before they were forced to leave, the moms observed the teen pride organizers giving minors genital-shaped bookmarks lubricants and breast binders i don't even know what a breast binder is unless it's some sort of a uh, binder with photo of breasts on I, I don't know you just i'll leave that up to your imagination so let me just say that again before they were before they were escorted out the mothers this is a teen pride event gay right homosexual they were giving minors genital-shaped bookmarks, lubricants, and breast binders. It was claimed that parents were not allowed at the event unless accompanied by a minor. Just what's going on, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of gnarly. And uh, but what it what I think more profoundly what it is is a government that is fascist, and what that means is that there is one way that's allowed that you're allowed to believe and act and if you step outside those bounds you will be arrested and punished for your your beliefism right and so what happens is it's like when I I'm going to be going to Vietnam pretty soon <clears throat> and if I go to Vietnam and I stand out on a corner in Vietnam and pass out literature they will arrest me if I stand on a corner and speak loudly like I'm speaking publicly and just I'm a street street, you know, soapbox preacher, they will arrest me. If I have contraband like literature that's not approved by the communist government, they'll arrest me. It's in, it's called intolerance. The beauty and wonder of the United States is that you could do all that, you could speak, you could write, you can do all kinds of things, you could publish and uh and if you didn't agree with the government, and even if it was attacking the government, you're all right. Now, this last week, there was an American born Vietnamese. Either he was born here or just came over right after he was born. Looked like to me he was in his 40s. He just got 12 years in prison in Vietnam for, they claim, pro proposing anti-government activities not to overthrow the government but just stand up against the government they gave him 12 years now that's the kind of repression that maybe many of you have never seen up close because you haven't traveled in communist countries long enough besides dipping into a couple tourist sites and five-star four-star hotels and heading on your way but if you're hanging around very long you find out some gnarly stuff that's going on uh, so uh, that's what's coming here. It, what, what's happening is they don't there. There's no uh, military coup at this point in the United States. It's happened, but it's happening through legislation, regulations of what we call the deep state. You think oh, the deep state is just against Trump. No, if Trump dropped dead tomorrow and Mike Pence was the new president, the deep state would work vigorously against Mike Pence. In fact, the homosexual community has really lambasted Pence 
even though Pence does does not is not antagonistic to the gay community, he's a Christian, and he doesn't he doesn't uh, em, embrace that belief, and he doesn't endorse the belief, but he's tolerant, and he's not out telling people what they ought to do with their lives. He just saying, I don't, I don't believe that. And so he didn't endorse the gay flags, the rainbow flags being flown over embassies. He just said, that's not what should be happening. The American flag should be there. That's it. I agree. And so, but, but this with the way the country, and I think here's the deal, the people that are homosexuals in the country, they're going to get their nose broke because pretty soon this is going to turn on them. And the intolerance that they're getting away with, with the heterosexual group in society, they're going to get their nose broke in the same type of totalitarian thinking where they just say, you know, we're not going to put up with that with you, right? You either do what we say and do, and you think like we think, and we're not going to allow you to write stuff like this. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to be able to record things like this and put it on the air. We're going to control that. Now you already see that now with Google, Facebook, Twitter, all these, uh, these big communicators, they're putting a kibosh left and right and left and right over all kinds of conservative and Christian thinking. Why? They do not believe it. They will not, and they will not tolerate it. It's intolerance. It had, it's exactly the opposite of what this country was found on. This country was founded on freedom. And I'm telling you, it was gnarly freedom. I mean, people went at each other with, with great zeal. And before the Internet, they printed what we call broadsides, which were like half-sheet flyers. And, and they printed their position and just scattered them all over town. And it, it was very aggressive, uh, whether it was pro-slavery or anti-slavery or pro-Britain or anti-Britain. And, and it was, uh, I mean, guys would have duels. They, they would get fed up with each other so bad that they would say, I'll meet you out there and bring your handgun. And, and we're going to, one of us is going to, one of this, one of us is not going to be complaining anymore. And that's it. It was very intense, but what's going on now is, is a centrally managed control, thought control, uh, all kinds of control in, in Vietnam. If you want to print anything in Vietnam, you have to go to the government first, submit the printing and they have to review it and approve it. Otherwise, you cannot print something in Vietnam. It's totally controlled. Now, you many of you don't get out much. I'm not saying you're bad people, but it, you just you may or may not know this. I mean, I talk I talk to people. They, they're shocked when I tell them these things. Oh, they're still communists. Or oh, are they two countries or one? Oh, you can't have a Bible there. Oh, you can't have this there. Oh, you can't have any any. You can't say anything negative about the government on Facebook. Or complain about some policy. You can't do any of that. They'll come and pick you up. In fact, I was just on Viber with a friend of mine over there, and he said, "I got to go to the police station." I said, "Oh, why do you go?" He said, "I have no idea." They just called me and they said, "Come to the police station." Now that's the type of operation you would never get that in America. You could they could call you. You'd say, "I'm not coming down there. I have my rights." Right? You'd be calling your attorney. Right? Uh, so, uh, but that's, what's going on over there. And that's the way this country is going and it. And it's happening in lifestyle things like this, uh, LGBT XYZ MOP and all this baloney. So, uh, I'm going to, uh, let's see, where are we? One, two, three. Okay. This is cool. This is cool. This is an African-American hero. 
you've never heard of. So I'm, I'm going to educate you right here for a few minutes and then get me something to wet my whistle and be right back. We really enjoy studying history here at Wall Builders. In fact, we encourage people, study history, read some original documents, know history for yep. yourself. One of the places that's worked to promote history, in fact, one of the biggest museums around, the Smithsonian up in DC, they really work to try to promote history. Oh man, that's a monster museum. I mean, they have so many buildings. They've got the Air and Space Museum and the American History Museum, and they've got the Natural Science Museum. And Well, that's kind of like the Natural Evolution Museum. I, science might be a little, you know, it's one are of the things too, when you look at history, is sometimes people have a little slant on their are perspective. They, are you suggesting they happen to Agenda? If this was news, we might call it fake news. <laughs> this, this might not be the most accurate take on things, but Smithsonian for sure, they do a lot with history. In fact, they just opened a new museum, the African American Museum of History, and this is something that for generations we've lost so much history. In fact, black heroes that we used to know about in history today, we don't know much about, and they've worked to kind of reclaim that. But when I was there a few months ago, there were a few things I saw and I thought, I'm not sure about this. One of the things that they said in this museum is there was no white man who was against slavery until the 1820s. Ooh, time out, time out, time out. How about the pilgrims? I think they were pretty white. Check, white people against slavery. Uh, Puritans, they got the Puritans. Check, white people against slavery. Uh, Quakers, let's go for the Quakers. Check, white people against slavery. Ooh, a whole bunch of the founding fathers, they were white too. I well, you know what's interesting about this is, is for all the things we could focus on, they, they, they tended to say some negative things, and, and certainly not that there haven't been negative things in history, but if this is to focus on some heroes, you know, one of the heroes they ought to be focusing on is this guy right here. This is Lemuel Haynes, huge black hero. You should know about Lemuel Haynes. Well, and this actually is a Bible from Lemuel Haynes. It's got a signature right here in the front, but he was a really significant black hero from early well, America. He's a famous preacher, and by the way, he is the first black man to receive a degree of higher education in the United States, which makes it worth talking about. That's a real first. He's also a black man that started churches all over New England, Vermont particularly, and he was often the black man who pastored a white church in those areas. So not only is he a pastor, he's pastoring white churches? In that era when we're told they're all racist. And that bigots, barely so. happens today, but we're talking about back, Found yeah, America. I mean, that's racism and segregation, slavery is going on. And he even pastored mixed churches where the blacks and whites went to church together. Wow. And on top of that, he also fought in the American Revolution. He was one of the Minutemen, and he fought under George Washington. And in his churches, every year on George Washington's birthday, he would preach a special sermon on George Washington, his commander-in-chief. Wow. He's also the first black man to have a sermon printed, signed by the author. The first ever sermon by a black African-American pastor, and this is it. You would think you'd want to talk about a guy who did all these first, but yet we would just want to talk about things about the mistreatment and abuse. Well, and you know, so, so to that end, if you want to know some some incredible black heroes, Lemuel Haynes is the guy you might want to check out. Yeah. Tony, this looks very interesting. I'd like you to take a look at these chromosomes. I'd like to take a look at your chromosomes, baby. <laughs> what do you say we knock off this genetic research and go to my place for some dinner, huh? Oh, Tony, is that all you ever think about? Are you too beautiful? Do you find that men refuse to take you seriously? Are a pretty face and a swell body keeping you from the meaningful relationship or important career you've been looking for? Well, right now, thousands of beautiful women like me are discovering that you don't have to be a sex object with a fabulous new treatment called Homelier You. Yes, for just five minutes a day in the privacy of your own bedroom, you can change from this to this. Hey, Tony, how about that drink? Hey, now you're talking, dude. <laughs> Forget it. Let's, let's keep working, huh? Homelier You. You'll look like a dog, 
but you'll feel like a person. All right. Well, we're going to get into the second half of the show right now. Uh, we have we do six sessions, about 30 minutes each, so uh, we're into our fourth. <clears throat> and I wanted to mention and thank one of our uh, sponsors for just uh, into our second year now. Uh, it's Elite Universal Security. The other night I had a friend. I live in kind of a gnarly part of Marysville downtown and uh <clears throat> for years the, the Marysville police department was you know they had a philosophy of how to how to enforce the law in the city it was very good and very tidy very very orderly and uh, but uh in the last few years because of politics uh now people are, are uh, able to camp in the city sleep all over the city this morning i drove down the alley behind my house where popeye's ch- uh, chicken was and there were people, you ever been to San Francisco and on the pier, there's all these sea lions or seals or something. There, there might be a hundred of them all laying out there just sunning themselves. And there was homeless people laying like sea lions along the concrete in the back of this uh, Popeye's. And the reason I'm driving down there is my friend had her, she lives down, down the alley. The back of her property comes into the alley, front of the property is out on the, on the, the street on on uh, uh, F Street, so she parked her car back there because it needed a fuel pump. She had it towed over there, and uh, people stole uh, all her wheels. Not just didn't take her tires off, took the wheels and the tires off, battery, just stripped the the car. And uh, you know we have people that it's just a total that alley. It's called Lemon Street. Hold that thought, and uh, it's just not being. It's the law in that area. The law is not being enforced. They started to fire there the other day, uh, and uh, smoke was actually blowing through my house. The fire department had to show up across the fence from me. Uh, you know, it's just lawless. You know, it, it, it isn't. You know, people say, "Oh, well, what's going on?" In our, I'll tell you what's going on in our country. We've lost our minds, and uh, we no longer enforce the law. We actually fund people. We give them. We take money from hardworking people, and we give money to people that are staying loaded all day and are nutso. And when you do that, uh, people will run amok and they'll, they'll think like they have the authority to just take whatever they want. And so if you go over to Walgreens or CVS across the street from me, you can smell urine. Uh, it's funky. And behind the bushes in uh, Walgreens, people are defecating back there. And it's all because there's no political will to take care of business, and uh, so when when that unravels enough, the entire society falls apart. But w- the way that plays out right now is people just leave; they just move to another part of the country where there still is law and order. So, uh, so I the reason I brought this up is as I had men- mentioned to the owner of Elite Universal Security that we talk about here, I said, "Can you call the property owners of this property and see if they'll clean it up?" Because the police aren't going to clean it up. They just drive through, and if they see somebody slitting somebody's throat, they'll arrest them. But anything else, just being loaded, laid out on on the concrete, it, it ain't going to get it done. 
or screaming at a dog or, or being out of your mind. It was just like, hey, it's part of the neighborhood. So uh, Elite Universal Security, if you if you need some help and the police aren't providing it because of the lack of political will in the community, wherever you are, Yuba, Sutter County, whatever, wherever you're going to listen, uh, Elite Universal operates all up and down Northern California up here. They're in Chico, Redding, uh, Yuba City, Marysville, Yuba, Sutter County, Shasta County, Butte County. They're all, all over the place. And if you want some help with their security needs, uh, they can they can help you. So you can call them at 530-749-0280, 530-749-0280. And they also have classes. And uh, so they uh, coming up here in July, they've been taking June off, but in 13th and 14th of July and the 26th and 27th of July, they're going to be doing the uh, firearms classes, f- exposed firearms and concealed and they're also going to do the uh, where you requalify. So check them out. Uh, you can reach them easy, 24 hours a day. And uh, if you need if you need their, your help from them, uh, which I call them, I call them as a money. We need some help over here. Money Hecker's the owner. Seven four nine zero two eight zero five three zero area code. But he's a supporter. He likes what we're doing here, so helps us financially stay on the air. So you can check his website out. Let me give you that at the the EliteUniversalSecurity.com. That's one, EliteUniversalSecurity.com. API-Academy.com. API-Academy.com is another one for their schooling. You can take their classes, etc. All right. So I wanted to talk to you now about the reparations. And uh, let me see if I can get down to this. Uh, I, you know, I love Tom Soul and I love Walter Williams. And I, I watch their stuff whenever I can. If it's reasonable length, sometimes if it's over an hour, I don't have time to listen to it. But their little clips, uh, I just think, oh, I love these clips. They, I love these clips. So Walter Williams is talking about reparations. I'm, I'm scrolling down here to see if I can get to it. Uh, and I think I'm almost there. Uh, so he... He raises, right now, I don't know whether you noticed, in the Congress, what we've had is because so many Democrats were elected and Republicans lost in the Congress, uh, the U.S. Congress, then uh, the chairmanships of the various committees changed. And so now what we have is a lot of Democrat uh, chairmen of these various committees, and so they're they're the ones that set the, the docket or the topics that are going to be addressed on these committees. And so they've been, they've been, so one of the uh, liberals' uh, favorite things is, is that uh, they want to, you, you know, they're always uh, touting what their, their followers or their voters want, uh, whether it's LGBTX, MOG, uh, those kind of causes, or reparations. In other words, we're going to pay black people today for something that happened to black people a few hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago, even though there may not be any connection. So it's kind of like, like right here, I got a a lady on my left where I live. She's white. So it'd be kind of like if something happens to her uh, and a white guy rapes her, then if they can't find him, then they can come and get me and have me to serve the time because I'm a white guy, right? And a white guy raped her, but they didn't catch him. 
right? So, so this reparations thing is, hey, somebody's got to pay, and we can get into your pocket, so we're going to take it. So let, let me give you a little bit of the uh, Walter Williams at the short write-up. He says uh, several, uh, several Democrat presidential hopefuls are calling for Americans to make reparations for slavery. In other words, pay off their, their if, if you can connect the current people Blacks, you know, there's blacks in this country that just immigrated this country in the last 20 years. So you got to figure out which blacks are which, right? On June 19, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties held a, had a hearing. Its stated, pur- its stated purpose was to examine <clears throat> and uh, through open and constructive discourse a legacy of transatlantic slave trade, its continuing impact on the community, and the path to restorative justice. So somehow. Kids that never knew anything about slavery. In fact, there's no one in this country, unless you've been sexually trafficked or slave human trafficked lately, which had nothing to do with Africa or the continent over there or anything. Unless something's happened to you lately, then no one in this country has been a slave, the type of slave they're talking about. So it says, he says slavery was a bad thing, da 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 Justice demands that all participants in transatlantic slave trade makes comp- compensatory reparation payments to slaves, right? That's the argument. However, there is no way that Europeans could have captured millions of, of Africans. And now there's a myth here, and people, because history is so poorly taught in the United States, you think, oh, we went over to Africa, or we paid people to bring Africans to us, and we worked them here. But it wasn't that simple. I want you to listen to what he says. There's no way that Europeans could have captured millions of Africans because it wasn't U.S. people running over there. He says that means compensation would have to be paid by Africans and Arabs who captured and sold slaves to Europeans. So you get it? African people and Arab people in those countries captured Africans and then they sold them to Europeans. And then they brought them to America, other Europeans that weren't even living here. It's just like people bring products from China and India and and Mexico, products to eat. They bring them here. It had nothing to do with us getting them here. We just simply received them. You got it? Now, certainly we were willing to work them because there was a need for cheap labor, just like there is today in harvesting, to harvest things like cotton, and uh, tobacco, and I think there was one other product that was big that they needed hand work for. Sugarcane, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure whether I got all three, but it doesn't make any difference. They just needed laborers, and they said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll take them. So, but it was Europeans, Africans, and Arabs selling to Europeans, in addition to the people who brought in, in, uh, and used slaves. Since slaves and slave traders and owners are no longer with us, compensation is beyond our reach, and it's, a, and it's a matter that will have to be settled in hell or heaven. How about that? Now, there's a guy that believes that there's an afterlife, and somebody's going to have to pay for their misbehaviors. Hold that thought. Let's Like, for instance, all the homosexual guys, like this uh, guy, uh, a better judge, this mayor that's running for president, he says... That, that all of us that don't, uh, you know, love him because he has sex with a man, 
that we, we don't like vote for him because he has sexual demand. Uh, therefore, we're going to have to answer to God for it. Well, we'll see. We're all going to we're all going to see. So let's pretend for a moment that the reparations issue made a made a little bit of sense. Walter says there's a question of responsibility more explicitly. Should we can compensate a black person today by punish a white person of today? by taking his money for what a white person of, of yesteryear did to a black person of yesteryear. If we believe in individual accountability, we should find that doing so is unjust. In other words, are the tens of millions of Europeans, Asians, and Latin Americans who immigrated to the U.S. in the late 19th and 20th centuries responsible for slavery, or should they be forced to cough up reparations? What about the descendants of North Northern whites who fought and died in the name of freeing the slaves? Should they pay reparations to black people? What about the non-slave-owning Southern whites? There were many of them. The majority were non-slave-owning folks in the South. They were non-slave-owning. Should their descendants be made to pay reparations? Reparation advocates make the unchallenged pronouncement that the United States became rich on the back of free labor, free black labor. That is utter nonsense. You think, see, this is stuff that just goes unchallenged usually. He said it's utter, this is an economist, folks. This isn't just your charlatan hustler like Sharpton or Jackson. This is utter nonsense, he said. While some slave owners became rich. Slavery doesn't have a good record of producing wealth. Slavery existed in the southern states and outlawed in most of the northern states. Buying into reparations arguments suggests that the antebellum south was rich and the slave-starved north poor. That truth is just the opposite. In fact, the poorest states and regions of our country were places where slavery flourished. Mississippi. Alabama and Georgia. In fact, Mississippi is still the poorest of all, if you count like Obama, 58 states. If you count like Lou, 50 states. And the, he said the richest states and regions were those where slavery was not. And that was Pennsylvania, New York, and Massachusetts. There was not slavery there, and they were the most um, wealthiest states in the, in the Union or the colonies. The reparations movement would be an amusing sideshow were it not for its damaging distractions. It grossly misallocates resources that could be better spent elsewhere. According to the State Department of Education, 75%, I want you to think about this, 75% of black California boys cannot meet state reading standards. In 2016, in 13 of Baltimore's 39 high schools, not one student, not one student scored proficient on the state's math exam. In six other high schools only, in six other high schools, only 1% tested proficient in math. The same story of low education outcome can be told about most cities with large black populations. And yet Obama and all his black friends will not support charter schools for blacks, and it's the blacks who want out of the public education system. Williams goes on to say, I'd like to see law lawyers bring a class action suit against public school systems in cities like Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, Detroit, and Los Angeles for conferring fraudulent high school diplomas. These kids walk out of school, 
They don't know Jack with a high school diploma. means absolutely nothing. It's a piece of crap is what they got in their hand. Such diplomas attest a 12th grade level of academic achievement when in fact those youngsters often can't perform at 6th grade or 7th grade levels. Isn't that tragic? I don't care what political persuasion you are. That is just, that's the saddest thing to me. Those kids sat in those those seats for all those years, went, got up, went, took a shower, had to go to all that baloney and got jerked around. And uh, what a total ripoff. What a total ripoff. I just, it, it angers me, and it angers me. When Obama took over as president, I'll never forget the, the uh, poor blacks of Washington, D.C., who wanted out of the, the, one of the most terrible school systems in the country. They begged Obama because it's a, you know, it's a district of Columbia. It's not a state. So they begged them to let them have vouchers and choose other schools, and Obama shut it down. Yet he sent his two girls to very fine school, right? I don't blame him. I said, hey, send your kids, spend a bajillion dollars a year on your kids. They're your kids. You have them once for a few years, and then it's gone. You do what you can with them. But then to turn around about, you know, and the other thing that pisses me off is Obama and lots of these black guys say, my people, well, when they say my people, they're not talking about Americans. They're, they're racist. They're talking about black people, even if they're half black or quarter black. If you just got a little bit of black, you're black, black, black. You don't hear any white people. Very, you know, you say, oh, yeah, white supremacists. Honestly, people, I, I've met white supremacists. Everybody I know, they don't talk about my people and end up talking about white people or half white people or tanned people. It's, it's utter nonsense. Well, I want to move on now. We're going to take a break here in a few minutes, but I'll start this. And, and uh, one of the things that's happened in the United States is, is uh, uh, the government at one time was not involved in welfare. Did you know that? And if you want to look at a great book that, uh, well, a lot of times we just speak on what we heard somebody else say, or, or we read some article in the paper. If you want to find out about, how the United States people took care of people in their communities that were struggling, whether they were homeless, whether they were addicts, whether they were a wayward teen, rebellious teen, a pregnant teen, uh, all those kind of problems, you know, they're, they're in every society, right? How, how do you take care of them? How do you deal with it? How do you get them on their feet? Well, there's a book called the tragedy of American compassion. It was written in the 1990s when Clinton was president by a guy named Marvin Olasky, O-L-A-S-K-Y. Marvin is was a journal is still a journalism professor. He's editor of World Magazine. And he wrote he did the research at the Smithsonian Institute and other Library of Congress because there's all these notes and minutes of all these nonprofits back in the day, private nonprofits that were carrying the the load of caring for people that were troubled people in our in our communities. And then the government stepped in and took over the whole thing, set up a whole bureaucracy, and uh, didn't tell people they couldn't help each other. But basically, if the government starts handing out money, people stop paying attention or they're not accountable to anybody else. The government does not hold anybody accountable. In fact, it's less so today. They don't even, 
Last I heard in Sutter County, they weren't even confirming people's real addresses. You could come from another county, sign up for welfare, general assistance, and and uh, and and get get on the dole, right? Well, that destroys people's lives, right? That this book of tragedy of American compassion, the the poverty fighters of the 1800s, 1700s said there's good charity and there's bad charity, and bad charity keeps people in their plight. Good charity helps people leverage out of their plight. So when we come back, I want to talk about what's going on in Arkansas, which is some amazing stuff. But but liberals aren't into seeing people reformed or changed or successful. They're into just giving money away, right? That's what this is all about. So um, I've got a few clips, as you noticed, coming into the show today. We played a clip on why do we celebrate the 4th of July. There's a clip now, Independence Day Through the Eyes of a Founding Father. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit more. I wrote an article for the Territorial Dispatch about the last surviving signer of the independent in, uh, of the uh, Declaration of Independence. Very interesting uh, information. Not not my articles. Not you know you could take or leave my article, but but what happened back then with this signer was just who he is and what he went through and all that kind of stuff is I think is fascinating. So. Um, We'll play that for you, and then we'll be right back here to get into our, uh, I think, our fifth segment, and uh, we'll make a go of it. Okay? Be right back. Why don't we liberate these United States? We're the ones who need it worst. Let the rest of the world help us for change, and let's rebuild America first. Our highways and bridges are falling apart. Who's blessed? Who has been cursed? July 1776, the Declaration of Independence was voted and approved by Congress. Now, in the Declaration, there were a lot of unique aspects about it, such of which were the fact that we believe in the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, there were 56 signers who agreed with all of those things. Well, if you jump forward 50 years, in 1826, on the 4th of July, there's only three signers left alive. It was Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Charles Carroll. Well, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration. So Charles Carroll is now the last surviving signer. The state of New York wanted to capture something to, to really remember the Declaration, but from the eyes of the last surviving signer. So a vellum copy of the Declaration was sent to Charles Carroll, and they asked, if he would inscribe something on this declaration, and they actually took the declaration, they put it on display at New York City Hall, they wanted everybody in New York to see what this last signer of the declaration would think that every American should know. Actually, it was covered in several news articles and magazines. This is just one of those articles that tells the story of actually what he wrote on that vellum copy of the declaration, and here's how he started off his statement. He said, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings which through Jesus Christ our Lord he has conferred on my beloved country. Well, he starts off with saying, I'm so grateful to God through Jesus for what he's done for America. So a pretty neat sentiment to begin, but let me read how he concludes this statement. He says, I do hereby recommend to the present and future generations the principles of that important document as the best earthly inheritance their ancestors could bequeath to them and pray that the civil and religious liberties that they have secured to my country may be perpetuated to the remotest posterity and 
extended to the whole family of man. Charles Carroll wanted everybody to be able to enjoy the civil and religious liberties like they were enjoying in America at that time. In fact, the reason we enjoy so much of the liberty and freedoms we have are because of the principles outlined in the Declaration of Independence. I just can't drive around there. You know how the old people drive? They drive slow, they sit low. That is their motto. State flag of Florida should be just a steering wheel with a hat and two knuckles on it. And that left turn signal on for when they left the house that morning. That's a legal turn in Florida. It's known as an eventual left. You can signal this week, turn any following year of your life. What is that age that old people reach where they decide when they back out of a driveway, they're not looking anymore? You know how they do that? They just go, well, I'm old and I'm coming back. I survived, let's see if you can. you like that. I'm going to talk about uh, welfare right now. And uh, the book I, I mentioned to you was a uh, sort of a match to some dry, dry leaves and, and lit uh, a desire by the Congress. At that time, it was a Republican-led Congress, uh, dominant Congress under Bill Clinton. And Clinton actually signed the welfare. It was a Welfare Reform Act and uh, but it didn't force the, the states to all buy in at the at the highest level. So the California being very liberal, as I mentioned earlier, uh, did not pressure people to go to work. And so they didn't. So in, in states back in the 1990s, when the tragedy of American compassion was written, it motivated people to say, hey, we're not doing right by just giving people money. It cripples people. It's like if you take your kid and he graduates from high school and he doesn't go out and get a job, doesn't join the military, doesn't go to school, doesn't do anything, and you just keep feeding him and giving him allowance at home, he'll probably just hang around. That it, it cripples people. You're, you're, it's a lot more than just making them lazy. You're intellectually crippling people. People need to work. Uh, it's a spiritual thing. So this article says, Arkansas is debunking myths about welfare reform the myth about welfare reform is it doesn't work you just what we should do is just give out welfare just give money not accountable people are not accountable for it that was never done in the early u.s if any money was given out they were accountable to respond to that money either they had those people work somewhere or something something or if they kept getting loaded or screwy they did not just give them month after month after month. After. It wasn't just like, hey, well, we don't have a right to tell them. We just, we just, we have a mandate. We just need to give people money, and they, we really don't have a right to ask anything of them. Baloney. So the left, left hates this. He said, this guy Nicholas Horton, who wrote this article, almost exactly one year ago, or Arkansas began the first state to ever implement common sense work requirements for able-bodied work aged adults on Medicaid. And the left freaked out. Medicaid is insurance uh, 
a state-based insurance for folks that are very poor and they don't have any ability to buy their insurance, so they put them on Medicaid. But it's a big value, so they're saying, hey, if you want this, if you want this benefit, you need to work. Since that time, they've proceeded to outright slander the state, falsely asserting th- that the requirements would leave the state worse off, hurt Arkansas folks, and was nothing more than a reporting requirement designed to confuse enrollees with paperwork rather than help them find a job. In other words, the opponents, the left, of the deep state went after and to try to destroy Arkansas in this effort to get people a job and be able to buy their own stuff and be free. When people are on welfare or on aid, they are not free. The Bible says they're servant to the lender in a sense. They always are beholden to them and they can get the rug jerked out anytime. If you're making your own money, have money in your pocket, you're a lot freer. So this article says they've waged an all-out war on work, the left has, even using the courts to try to temporarily thwart the will of Arkansans who overwhelmingly support their work requirement, Republicans and Democrats alike. They've gone all out for a few big reasons. They want a much de- much more dependency of the people. Isn't that sad that you want to cripple people so they just need you to hand, uh, hand to mouth feed them, spoon feed them? They think a lifelong welfare check is better for Americans than a paycheck. I'll just say that again. They think a lifelong welfare check is better for Americans than a paycheck. And they also know that Medicaid work requirements are a signature achievement of the Trump first term. Now, here's the thing, people. If a signature achievement of the Trump first term was they eliminated breast cancer, they would still criticize him for it. I'm telling you, this this whole thing is totally nuts. I don't know why they haven't shot President Trump yet, because the people are out of their minds it's, there is a Trump derangement syndrome. He could cure cancer. He could create no unemployment. He could create a lot of cool things. But they would still hate him. So this writer says if they can stop our Arkansas, stop them. They think they can stop work requirements from the spreading to other states, which will increase more dependency and deal a blow to the tr- president at the same time. For the left, it's a win-win-win situation. But there's bad news for them. From day one, they've been wrong about the Arkansas Common Sense Welfare Reform and a new study from the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, it's, it's actually Foundation for Government Accountability proves it. The report finds that the work requirement, in fact, helps thousands of of people find work. In fact, some of the Arkansans walked into local workforce centers unemployed and left with a job in hand. More than 14,000 Arkansans left Medicaid, left Medicaid because of increases in their income over just a few short months. Isn't that exciting? People just getting free from the system. And taxpayers were on track to save Upwards of $300 million per year in little old Arkansas. Few Arkansans uh, dependent on welfare. Fewer are dependent. More Arkansans working and more savings for taxpayers. 
funds that can now go to help truly needy people. No wonder the far left hates it very much. Of course, no one should be surprised. Time after time, welfare reform has been proven to reduce dependency, increase incomes, and lead to better lives for Americans. But this doesn't fit with the left's vision of Medicaid for all, so they refuse to accept it. Looking ahead at Arkansas, Arkansas isn't backing down. Government Asa Hutchinson and the Trump administration have both signaled their intent to keep fighting through the courts. Isn't it sick? Fighting through the courts, right? And people are actually going to benefit from this. It just had, All this has to do with ego and getting your own way. Fighting through the courts to restore the work requirement and the will of the people. That good news for the state, that's good news for the state and the country. Medicaid enrollment, particularly among able-bodied adults. Think about this, people. Has more than doubled in recent years and is on an unsustainable path. That means they're giving free medical care to able-bodied adults. Instead of having them go to work and get pay for their own medical care. There's a lot of fake news floating around about Arkansas's wild, wildly successful work requirement, but the bottom line is work requirements help people, and Arkansas has proven it once again. It's just so obvious, so simple, and I remember when they, they, che- they changed from what they call aid to families with dependent children, AFDC, I think they called it. And they went to what they call TANF, which starts out with temporary, right? Temporary. This, the idea is we're going to keep you on this temporary till, they, uh, till you can get on your feet. And though the Democrats said people will literally, literally die in the streets. People will starve to death. People will this. People that. It was just a bunch of crap. They're just, they're just talking off the top of their head. They were nutso. People are truly nutso. And so... Uh, it didn't happen, and what happened is people actually got jobs and loved it. They just loved it. So, uh, so there you have it. Um, all right, let me see where I'm going to go here. We got we got about half a half a segment here to do, and uh, we'll just get into it. Let's see. Let me get some extra notes here. All right. I was talking to somebody today. We had a, for those that are not in this area, and uh, they're, they don't listen regularly, which I don't think people do a lot of times. They get busy doing other things. But uh, Yuba County Office of Education, <clears throat> which takes care of <coughs> a charter school, and they work with a lot of kids that are, are behind in education for a variety of reasons or kids that are in, in juvenile hall, or kids that are in what they call a court school, they're on probation, but they can't go to a regular school. And so they recently had their second lady that was that was fussing around with a young man that was incarcerated. And uh, I thought they had to have what they call this PREA training, which is a, a federal training for all employees working with people that are incarcerated. But I guess people weren't getting trained with you know, it's, it's you know, it's amazing to me. It's like, hey, they pass a law, I'm, you know, cell phones, this, that, and the other thing. I try to obey, right? Because like, it's a law. You get fined, you some problems. Government just picks and chooses which laws they want to follow. So, so um, 
anyway, that's what happened here. And, and uh, so anyway, the Yuba County Office of Education, uh, they ended up hiring a couple ladies that uh, one had sex with an underage boy. And uh, I don't know whether she resigned or was fired, but I don't know what the criminal act actions were, but the, the boy's parents ended up suing Yuba County Office of Education for, I think, I heard $50,000, how much they got, I don't know. Obviously, he had the time of his life. He thought it was probably a great experience having sex with that young woman. She was in her 20s, late 20s. Uh, but then they turned around and, and showed their lack of integrity by suing the county when the boy loved it. He had a wonderful experience. So now we have a situation where a woman... Uh, was having a relationship with an underage boy. I, it's not clear. It never has become public what they were doing. But we know that once he was transferred to the Yuba County Jail from Juvenile Hall because he turned 18 and they were preparing to send him to prison for murder, uh, she went over and married him over there. Now, she's in her 40s. He's 18. Uh, so that caught people's attention, and they, th they thought, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute whether or not you're having sex with him, you can't start a relationship as an adult teacher with the underage boy and then go over and marry him once he gets 18. And uh, so it's, it's created a fiasco. There's been an uh, investigation uh, uh, by the probation department. Now the sheriff's department is investigating, but I don't know whether what the results are. You know, so much anymore, the public is considered too stupid or not worthy of to know the facts about anything, right? You're just an idiot. Sit on the, go over in the corner, be, stu be stupid or be quiet. And, uh, but I was talking to somebody the other day and I was just saying, how in the world could they, Yuba County Office of Education have hired this woman who had a very different background? And I even heard there was questions about her credential, although I haven't proven that yet. But then after they let her go, because of what she did in this whole marriage thing. I don't know what they know beyond that in terms of sexual activity or what. But then they turned around and hired a guy named Jim Whitaker, who had been fired by Yuba, Yuba City Unified School District, which, if you're not from here, is just across the river. The river is maybe 100 feet across, 80 feet across. So after... You know, it's interesting that the, the state education system and the union is so corrupt for teachers that Jim Whitaker literally fondled. We don't know that he had full-blown intercourse with any of these women. These are women that are not drug addicts. They're not prostitutes. They're successful women. They're responsible women. They're taxpayers. They're, they're professional people that came forward after a, <clears throat> a teen in the school complained that he'd grabbed her behind. And so all these women came forward that 10, 20, 30 years ago had been fondled by him. So the school district, finally, the, the amount of complaints were overwhelming. The complaints had been made, some of them before, but the school just didn't do jack diddly. Isn't that interesting? All these mandate, you hear these, I'm a man, are you a man? Hey, did you know you're a mandated reporter? Hey, you're a mandated reporter. That means you got to report stuff. You can't just decide not to. Oh, well, are you, or, you know, I've had government people say, you guys at the church, you're, are you men, you're like forcing this mandated reporter, all talking all this trash. 
and hear all this mandated reporting at the school. You think your kids are safe at school and you got a guy that's feeling your daughter up and uh, you complain nobody does anything about it. And then, then the executives of the school who retired years ago say, you know, I just don't remember anything about that. Isn't that convenient? So finally, the Yuba City Unified School Board uh, let Whitaker go. And uh, But it's interesting that the the state did not remove his license to teach. And and what they call that is the, there's two terms. I, I know one term is the dance of the lemons. You just move the, the you know, you know it's, we're so hard on the Catholics, right? A Catholic priest would molest people and then move him to a new parish, right? Give him a fresh start. Take the heat off and say, hey, don't do that no more. Keep your hands to yourself. I know you're a pedophile. I know, I know you can't have sex with women, but quit having sex with all the kids, right? They'd move him to a new parish. They do the same. They go, oh, those damn Catholics, you know, those corrupt Catholics. Oh, what's up with them? They're hypocrites. Hey, schools do it every year. Right now, lousy teachers, they should be kicked out of the school system. They get questionable ethics, questionable moral. They got the morality of a of a hot alley cat and uh, and banging people all the time and feeling them up. Stupid stuff, right? And uh, so, so anyway, so I was checking to somebody I knew knew something about the White Yuba County Office of Education, and I was asking about how in the world did they hire Jim Whitaker, who was known in this small community as a molester, to come over here and teach high risk kids in Yuba County, and and the word was that the human resources person that they had no choice, which the person I was talking to said confronted her and said, yeah, you had a choice. You just didn't. You just ignored it. She said, "Oh well, we'd have got sued if we didn't just hire anybody." You just don't hire, any, even with all the union crap. You don't just have to hire any teacher. You can just pass on them. So you made an excuse. We had to hire them. And I just thought, you know something? We got such a screwed up mess in our schools, and now we have. It took twenty five years to get rid of that guy. I don't have any personal animosity to them. I just think children are the most important things that parents have. They send their kids to a public education system. They send their kids to some kind of education system. And then they get molested. They get molested by a coach. They get molested by a teacher. They get molested by a fellow home. I had one, one parent, she had a kid at Marysville Charter School of the Arts. And one of the alumni students from the year before came back on campus and 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 had some kind of sexual act. In other words, same gender, lesbians, hit hit on her daughter. I mean, you know, you send your kids off to these schools. You think they're safe? They're not safe. I don't care whether there's a camp. The campus cop didn't didn't do Jack Diddley. Do you know all these years the police didn't do anything because of who this guy was on campus, Whitaker. Now he comes over here and he's got got himself a full-time job. I heard he applied at Folsom Prison. Folsom Prison wouldn't even hire him. In fact, I thought if they hire him up there, they'll kill that dude up there. Right? They find out what he was doing down here, they would kill it. It happens all the time in prison. It's just incredible. So Anyway, we got. I was sorting that out with them uh, this week. I just, I was just shocked that they said, "Oh, we had, we had to hire him." So, in other words, 
It doesn't matter anything about the person's background, character, how the person comes across, how their interview went. You just, you got to hire whoever walks through the door. If a black bear walked through the door with a certificate, you'd have to hire them, even though they had ticks and everything. It's unbelievable. The most stupid thing I've ever heard. I used to take really a lot of pride in Yuba County Office of Education. They had some really sharp people there. I, th I think, man, you guys are you guys are taking the stupid pill now. You you dropped the stupid pill. I thought well, this is incredible. So, anyhow, uh, pretty sad situation. Well, I, I uh, I'm trying to find this article here. My can't my fingers are sticky or something. I can't get this computer to work right. Uh, there's this guy named Charles Carroll. And uh, Charles Carroll, or Charlie Carroll, as I like to call him, I don't know whether he's a Charlie or a Charles, whatever he is. Uh, oh, shoot. Let, let me, uh, I'll look that up, but I got to, I'll come back to this later, this other thing. Just, yeah, okay, this will work perfect. I called, I wrote an article for Territorial Dispatch called The Last Surviving Signer. I'm just going to glance, I'm going to talk a little bit about it since you may not read the article because uh, you're not from, maybe not from around here. But I think you'll get a kick out of it and, and give you a, a flavor of how great some of our founding fathers were. Maybe all of them, but the ones I read about, I'm always, I said, I've never heard that guy before. He wasn't taught about that guy in school. That guy is amazing, that guy right there. So I'm going to give you a, a gift here when we come back. And so let me see where we are here. Uh, we're going to play a history of the 4th of July. So this will fit perfect in the whole deal. Crash course on the U.S history of the 4th of July. It's about five minutes long, but I think you'll learn more than you did in school. So you should just send a check or something to me. All right, we'll be right back. Okay. Where's all the freedom that we're fighting for? Is it still our creed from shore to shore? After a soldier fights, should we read him as new rights? There's not that many to read anymore Where's all the freedom that we're fighting for? Hi, I'm John Green. This is Crash Course U.S. History, and today we're going to talk about July 4th, which in the United States is known as Independence Day. This is the day that Americans celebrate our independence from Great Britain by doing what we do best, blowing stuff up, offering significant discounts on mattresses, driving long distances for uncomfortable family interactions, and eating a lot of grilled meat. Right, so the story goes that the founders of this nation signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, parting ways with King George to found the freest, finest nation on the face of the earth. 
Yeah, except the Continental Congress actually approved a resolution of independence on July 2nd. The Lee Resolution was proposed by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia in June of 1776 and was a simple legal declaration of separation from England. John Adams got so excited about it that he wrote to his wife Abigail, The second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the Great Anniversary Festival. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. So what happened on the 4th? Well, not that much, actually. The Declaration of Independence was the formal announcement of independence, and its text was approved on July 4th, 1776. The fancy parchment version, with all the pretty calligraphy, wouldn't get drawn up until July 19th, and most members of the Congress signed the Declaration on August 2nd. Adams may have been wrong about the date, but he was definitely right about the celebration. Americans started celebrating the 4th of July as early as 1777, and as Adams predicted, the holiday was observed with feasts, 13-gun salutes, and fireworks. Why don't we call them illuminations anymore, Stan? You know, people can say, like, oh, we put a man on the moon, and we can refrigerate our meat now, but I miss the old days. Anyway, in 1778, George Washington celebrated the 4th by giving his soldiers a double ration of rum, and also there was much more shooting than usual. But while the people celebrated the anniversary from the beginning, the federal government took its sweet time in formalizing the holiday. Independence Day became an unpaid holiday for federal employees in 1870, and became a paid day off in 1938. Fourth of July observances have evolved over the years, but they generally involve patriotic displays, including decorations, fire, and explosives. Essentially, we celebrate our independence by having a one-day fake war each summer. Huzzah! Ah, freedom-tinnitus. Early observances were marked by huge bonfires, but the litigious nature of modern American society has greatly reduced the number of bonfires. However, we still have a lot of fireworks on the 4th of July. Many cities and towns across the country sponsor fireworks displays on the 4th. New York's fireworks display is the largest in the nation. Despite the grandeur of these officially sanctioned displays, many, many individuals across the nation feel the need to blow stuff up on their own in their yards because, you know, they have all of their fingers, and uh, that seems like too many. Many states have restricted the sale and personal use of fireworks, freedom haters, but would-be patriots find their way to marginal neighborhoods every year to buy fireworks out of the backs of vans. In my neighborhood, these personal pyrotechnic celebrations start in about mid-May and continue well into August, causing my dog to have a very stressful summer. John Adams' prediction about gunfire holds true as well. On most military bases, 50 gunshots, one for each state, are fired at noon on July 4th as a Salute to the Union! And in Stan's neighborhood, where you go to buy the fireworks out of the backs of vans, celebratory gunfire is common throughout the year. Here is an actual bullet hole in Stan's actual window. Stan, can we get the Libertage again? In the 19th century, many ex-presidents celebrated the 4th of July by dying. Both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died on July 4th, 1826, and James Madison died on the 4th of July in 1831. Calvin Silent Cal Coolidge was born on July 4th, 1876, but as he was never demonstrably alive, no one really cares that much. Finally, lest we forget, Americans also celebrate the 4th of July by eating. Millions of Americans host cookouts to celebrate independence, and the greatest spectacle in professional sports happens every year on the 4th of July. I am referring, of course, to the Nathan's hot dog eating 
dining contest, the current world record is 68 HDBs, hot dogs and buns, in 10 minutes. That means the world record holder, Joey Chestnut, consumed about 28,500 calories in 10 minutes. But don't worry, he, he threw it up shortly thereafter. So happy 4th of July from all of us here at Crash Course. We may not celebrate American independence on the right day, but I would argue that in spite of it all, it's still worth celebrating. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next week. Lord, a working man can't get nowhere today. A working man ain't got no time to play. Today I'll work my fanny off and leave it play. A working man can't get nowhere today. All right, here we go. This is the, uh, the last surviving signer. That's the title of my... Uh, little article for the Territorial Dispatch if you want to if you want to uh, read it you can you'll be on the website uh, with the article with the uh, episode here and or if you ever want to go to the Territorial Dispatch biz uh, you can read articles over there as well before I start I wanted to uh, thank another a couple sponsors that have been really great uh, big in fact Dave Greenitz of Greenitz Construction has been the longest sponsor I've had uh, and there's a reason for that we've been friends for many years and and he likes <clears throat> what I'm up to and so uh, he's been a con contractor here for 40 years and and specializing in just incredible remodels, uh, taking kind of a mundane-looking bathroom or kind of a frumpy-looking kitchen and creating something that's just, you just want to hang out there. It's just like beautiful, amazing, and really high-quality craftsmanship. All of his subs that he works with are amazing people. I know a lot of them, and I've known them for years. They really take pride in what they do. They show up in the showdown. They clean up. Uh, they clean up their mess. Uh, they get their job done. They show up when they say they're going to show, and at the price that they quote. And uh, and the the thing is, they're they're craftspeople. And uh, the Bible says, you know, a craftsperson, somebody's really great in their their field. They'll 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 appear before kings. I really believe that. I I uh, these guys are amazing. And you can reach uh, Greenitz Construction at greenitzconstruction.com. And you can check out their work. You can email them off the site. You can call them at 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602. And, I mean, even if you wanted to say, man, we got a few 80-degree days here in Northern California, but we're going to get into the hundreds. I'm going to get, get – I need some way to cool this house down. I can't afford the air conditioning. Some people have central air. said, I can't afford even to turn that on. We can – Greenitz can put in a – uh, whole house fan really saves a lot of money and just don't have to run that big unit, wear it out. So anyway, lots of good benefits. Dave Greenitz, Greenitz Construction, G-R-E-E-N-E-T-Z, 530-682-9602. The other people, uh, as a plumbing doctor, they're a 24-hour-a-day gig. Uh, <clears throat> you can call them up, 530-671-9111. They'll come out and keep the water running, keep the keep the flow going, keep that liquid going the right direction. If it's supposed to come in the house, it's going to come in. If it's supposed to go out, it's going to go out. You don't want to do it. You don't want it to do the opposite either time. So uh, they can help you solve that. 
Honestly, if you're in Marysville area where I am, the water rates are furiously high. They're three times as high. If you can, they'll change out all your uh, toilets and put low flow toilet shower heads. They'll 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 change some things up for you to save you a lot of money. You could pay for all those fixtures, have brand new fixtures, and save the money. Cal Water is a total ripoff up here in Northern California. Some of you, even in Butte County, like Oroville, you got Cal Water, I think, up there. Maybe part of Chico, I'm not sure. But wherever you got Cal Water, you are paying through the nose, as someone once said. So, uh, Plumbing Doctor, 530-671-9111. Listen, these guys are uh, my friends. I've known them for many years. I wouldn't just have anybody on here just to, to pick up some bucks. I don't make any money on this. In fact, if you want to get involved, if you like the show, if you want me to keep doing it, cost us some money to do it. I don't, I don't need any money myself. I'm fine. I just want to make a difference and uh, get get my version of how the world ought to work out there. So if you want to get involved, you can always call me at five three zero six seven. Let me do that again. Five three zero seven one three eighteen thirty eight. You can text me or shoot me a call. 530-713-1838 or you can email me at lou at nohostagesradio.com lou l-o-u at nohostagesradio.com all right so uh let's see i was going to talk to you about the, this uh i wanted to do kind of a fourth of july theme here today so we've done some fourth of july music some marches and and all kinds of stuff and uh let me see if I can find my way back down to my my article that I wrote uh, about the last signer, and that is a guy named Charlie Carroll. I call him. I don't know whether anybody else called him that, but uh, <clears throat> uh, Mark Twain. I ran ran into this Mark Twain quote. It said, "Many public school children seem to only know two dates: fourteen ninety two and the Fourth of July, and as a rule." They don't know what happened on either occasion. That seems that sounds like me when I went to school. I had such a hard time appreciating history. It just didn't click for me. I'm not blaming the teachers, but I didn't have it, and neither did they. We were both in a fix. They just kind of said, "These are the things you need to remember." But there wasn't any, there wasn't a love of history that was kindled in me, and and now I have it. I don't know how I got it, but I guess I just uh, I don't know. I don't want to get off on that track. I want to tell you about this article. So, uh, but as you heard at the beginning of the show, if you've been with us all the way through, I guess most of you at this point, if you're still listening, you listen to the first. So you listen to people being interviewed on the uh, Oceanside Beach in California, and they absolutely were idiots. You know, they're just, it's sad. It's just totally sad. They didn't even know the purpose of the 4th of July, what Independence Day meant. And uh, the other thing that happened earlier this year, just a lot, well, earlier this month, is that the 75th year commemoration of the attack uh, on Normandy and Omaha Beach and all those, the D-Day attack on Europe, where the United States and its allies uh, said, we're going to liberate Europe. We're going to get the Nazis out of these countries and back to where they belong. And... uh, but people realize that being the 75th year since that attack, that that in, they they have a commemoration or a big celebration or something, if you want to call it that, every five years. So don't have it every year. So the next the next get together will be the 80th year, and they realize that 
probably there won't be even one uh, of the combatants that liberated Europe there at that because they'll all be off the earth. It's just it's uh, it's sobering and it's sad. And so I when I thought about that and thought about the signers of the Declaration of Independence who were such amazing men, uh, I, I just thought. I'm sure that the Americans went through some similar sense of loss as the signers came to pass over the years, right? And uh, so on July 4th, 1826, you remember the signing uh, was 50 years before that, right, 1776, so 50 years later on 1826, the 50th anniversary of the adoption, there, there, remember there was a writing of it, there was a signing of it, then there was adoption and presenting to the people. So sometimes people say, oh, well, it didn't happen on July 4th, it happened July 2nd. Well, if you read it all, I mean, it was a process that went on. And some some of the members didn't sign it right there because they were they were in Canada and, you know, they were, you know people were on the move just like they are today. So in the 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence, only three signers still were alive on that particular day, July 4, 1826, 50 years later. All of them, 50-some 50 50 some, uh, gentlemen had all come to pass, right? And um, so that day, very, very, mis- I don't know how to say it, not mysteriously, but uh, just weirdly. Two of the three died that very day. Can you imagine? It's such a huge day in the in our nation's history, and two of the 50, 56, 58 signers, uh, two of the three left, uh, died that very day. It, it's just unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, so. It, it left Charles Carroll, right? And uh, so when that happened, uh, all eyes must have been on how long is Carroll going to live, right? Well, he died just uh, six years later in 1832 at the age of 95. The other day I was mentioning something about him. I mentioned 95. He said, jeez back in those days with the medical care and all the things and all the problems and difficulties in life, you guy lived in 95. So when you read about Charles Carroll, you realize this guy was a true, he was educated in Europe. He was sent to Europe. I read in two places, whether it's, he went there in eight at eight years of age or 11, but he stayed all through his educational years in Europe, was trained in Europe. He spoke multiple languages, Greek, just way more educated, way more bright than the average politicians today. But what he learned in Europe is that he didn't want to be there. And he didn't like the, he liked the freedom of America. And so when he came back to America to take up residence here in his 20s, he became, he became a part of the revolution. He was a patriot, a public servant, far brighter than, as I mentioned, political leaders today. And it's very clear that the signers agreed to risk their lives, their families, and their assets. And it, it's one thing, you know, people joke about President Trump giving up his salary. I don't think it's any joke when you give up 100, 
every quarter he gives up what is it three or four hundred thousand dollars I don't know what it is and uh, so it's it's a huge amount of money and it's and it's uh, so when people risk their lives their family and their assets for a cause it it means a lot to me so Carol had a lot to lose some people think that John Hancock of Boston who was a Boston merchant he had the big bodacious signature on the document that he was the the wealthiest of the signers but it actually wasn't Charles Carroll was uh, and he signed it in a very unusual way he didn't just sign his name Charles Carroll C-A-R-R-O-L-L he, he, he signed it Charles Carroll of Carrollton in other words where he lived <clears throat> and the reason he did that was because he didn't want any of his other relatives who didn't want to take that kind of risk or wasn't weren't in that position to receive persecution because he thought he may lose his life and everything he owned but he was known actually as the wealthiest guy in America his dad was also Charles uh, Charles the father of, of Charles the signer uh, was both of them were wealthy they were both very successful and Charles uh, the son or the signer was the only child of the, the the couple and ended up inheriting his father's wealth but he wasn't just a ne'er-do-well he also was wealthy so he, be, he was actually known as the wealthiest guy in America right so you think of him as the Bill Gates or the Warren Buffett of today so uh, the interesting thing is not everybody did the right thing. There, there were people that were uh, tortured. Uh, Richard Stockton was a lawyer uh, from Princeton, New Jersey. He was one of the signers. Uh, he was captured, incarcerated, and tortured, and uh, recanted and said, I, I want to take my name off the uh, Declaration of Independence. He, he re swore his allegiance to King George. <coughs> Excuse me. So as a broken man, when he regained his freedom, eventually he he renewed his oath of loyalty to the state of New Jersey, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, some of the losses in war. So Carroll, uh, Charles Carroll was from Maryland. Carroll was a very strong person of faith, loved Jesus, was a Catholic and at that time, even though there were, uh, you know, many religious groups came to America for freedom of religion, which there was not in Europe, you would be persecuted if you were the wrong faith. There were still some strong feelings amongst the different faith movements from the Protestant to the Catholic. And, and Carroll was the only Catholic signer. And uh, so he... Uh, sustained if you want to call it persecution or political losses he was involved in i didn't i didn't in the article i didn't get into much more of his life because i didn't have room in the article but uh, he served in a number of areas i think actually probably considered him as a potential candidate for president of the united states but because of he that he was catholic some people had an attitude about it, it limited some of his political aspirations so one of the interesting things to me which i missed growing up I always, of course, knew about the Boston Tea Party, right? That was a big event you learned about in school. But uh, there were a number of other Tea Party events or uprisings on October 15th, 1774 
in uh, Annapolis, the harbor of Annapolis in Maryland, there was a ship called the Peggy Stewart that was the same type of ship bringing in tea there. And uh, Charles Carroll was among a group of guys that actually not only dumped the tea but burned the ship. So uh, this is a, a guy, again, one of the most successful guys in the country, and yet he was involved in, uh, in some revolutionary uh, activities. So he was also a very spiritual person. His, I think it's his brother or cousin or something, was actually the founder of Georgetown, Georgetown University. Many of the major universities we appreciate over the years, Ivy League universities, they call them Yale, Princeton, uh, Harvard, were, were universities that were designated, developed and designated to train uh, uh, Christians. I talked to, about Oberlin University uh, a couple weeks ago. They were, tra- they were to train Christian people, citizens and leaders, ministers, actually to train ministers. So uh, Charles Carroll wrote, uh, to John Stanford on October 9, 1827. He said, To obtain religious as well as civil liberty, I entered jealously into the revolution and observing and observing the Christian religion divided into many parts or sects. I found the hope that no one would be so predominant as to become the religion of the state, which he didn't want. That hope was thus early entertained, or in other words, it happened, because all of them, or all the people, joined the same cause, the revolutionary cause, with few exceptions of individuals. In other words, all, every, a lot of people put down their sectarian views and said, hey, the main thing is to get free. He said, God granted that this religion, religious liberty, God grant that this religious liberty may be preserved in these states to the end of time, and that all believing in the religion of Christ may practice the leading principle of charity, the basis of every virtue. Now, atheists and socialists like to revise the history of the United States, saying these people really weren't, this country really wasn't based on biblical principles and on Christian virtue. Uh, That's a lie. So, um, uh, in August 2nd, 1826, after Adams and Thomas died uh, on July 4th, just a saint next month, uh, the city of New York sent a committee to talk to Carroll to get his final thoughts on the Declaration. That's how powerful this guy was. And he says, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings which, through Jesus Christ our Lord, he had conferred on my beloved country in her emancipation or her deliverance, right? And on myself in permitting me under circumstance and mercy of mercy to live to the age of 89. He, he, again, he lived another six years to 95, but at that time he was 89. And I do here recommend to the present and future generations the principles of that important document as the best earthly inheritance their ancestors could bequeath to them and pray that the civil and religious liberties that they have secured to my country uh, may be perpetuated to the remotest posterity and extended to the whole family of man. Pretty cool, huh? I thought that was a great, uh, if you want to look it up, there's lots on the internet on Charles or Charlie Carroll. There's books that have been written about him. I think it's worth, I don't know what age you are if you're a baby boomer, to look back at the founding of the country, what the, ba- what the uh colonists and the founding fathers, their views, their how they lived their life, uh, what they believed about 
supernatural intervention in the country. It's very, very fascinating, and I, it, it really undergirds that God really has been involved in holding this country together and, and helping it. And where people have gotten out of line, there's been prayer movements at First Awakening, the Second Awakening, revivals in this country that has have come to uh, clear, our, clear our thought, clear our conscience, and cause us to be a better people. So, um, so I'll leave with this. I'll just tell you, I didn't get to this, but the Democrats, I think, uh, recently voted unanimously <clears throat> the, uh, in a bill forcing schools to let male athletes compete in girls' sports. And girls are not happy about it. I wouldn't be either. I think it's totally chaotic. The Title IX uh, legislation many years ago uh, made it so girls weren't discriminated against. And if boy, there were boys' sports, we needed to have girls' sports. But now to say that men can go into the women's locker room and play on the girls' team is, is nonsensical. So I'm going to call it a day. I think we've given you a good shot here, two hours and almost two hours and a half. And uh, we appreciate you listening. So we'll plug away here. We'll be here every Saturday. And uh, I've got some interviews. I'm going to plan on uh, some interviews in studio to come up here in the future. I think you'll be very fascinated with. So have a good week. And I know uh, many of you will run into people. that will be the first time you meet them. And the Bible says, be careful and entertain. Be kind to people because you may entertain an angel and not even know it. So God bless you. See you later. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Someone to love, someone to love, sweetheart.